Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. It's uh, time to remember this crap with Mike Donahue. Mike, how are you? Uh, great, Annie. Bears are over 500 in September. For the first time since 1987. And that's what... Well, maybe not. But that's why... One of the many reasons. That, in the fact, they're playing the New York football giants. That's why Indeed. on this exciting edition of Remember This Crap, we are going to harken back to week one of the 1987 season when the champions of Super Bowl twenty faced off at the champions of Super Bowl twenty one. Both teams coming off of 14 and 2 seasons the year before. The Bears, of course, following up a 15-1 1985. So they were 29-3 and in their last 32 games. <laughs> they, a, cla- a clash of the titans. Do you remember, uh, Andy, the... I, and this might be a Mandela memory or effect, but I swear Nelson. that when the, when the game was announced, was, could it have been on the cover of Sports Illustrated before the game? Dubbed as Super Bowl twenty one and a half. There, I feel yeah, like there was been. a whole. There was a lot of hype, and why not? So this is the this is a Monday Night Crew of Al Michaels and Frank Gifford, who had been the crew the year before, and a new addition. Everybody's favorite former, uh, uh, well, not former, corpulent former Michigan Wolverine and St. Louis Cardinal. Dan Deardorff. His first his first appearance in what would be a pretty long run in the, in the annals of Monday Night Football um, would be uh, actually rank up there. And it, honestly, not just a pile on, but we typically do. We've done a few games involving maybe one, the Bears-Jets game in 91. Uh, but even from his very first game, just the there, you won't go ten minutes uh, if you were to listen to the full the full broadcast, which I did for this game that we're about to sort of you know make fun of. 
uh, and enjoy thoroughly. But uh, 10 minutes don't go by where Deardorff doesn't say something just colossally, like mystifyingly dumb and weird and uh, almost like a non sequitur. Well, that's kind of his thing. He's retired, though, right? Didn't him, and, well, I, him and Jim Brandstetter were doing Michigan games the last few years on the radio, and I believe they both retired at the same I time. Didn't know they, I didn't know they both retired. I just remember uh, because my wife is from Michigan, I've become very acclimated to the, the Big Mitten over the course of uh, the, my 20 years of spending much more time there. But I do recently recall hearing the uh, the – the vocal stylings of Dan Deardorff on uh, the car radio. Yeah. I believe their last game ever was Georgia just bludgeoning the shit out of the Wolverines. That's it. And we talked about that, I believe. I think I may have come up, or at least on or off the record, you know, on recording. Yeah. yeah Deardorff had quite a long run there. So you watched, in preparation for this, you watched the entire game. It's on YouTube. It's like two hours, and it's cut down to, like, no commercials, right? Like 220, Yeah, whoever... Whoever does, I don't know if it's the same guy. I mean, this is about the fifth or sixth game that we've done. We, it's the first from this era. There are three that we've done from '85. Uh, I feel like it might be the same person. I gotta, I gotta commend him as a, as a teenager in the mid '80s who recorded a lot of the same shit that I probably have this game stored somewhere in my dad's house. Very diligent to like hit that pause button. At the, right when they were cutting to commercials. So we are spared, which maybe in retrospect isn't such a great thing because it's kind of hilarious to watch commercials from the 80s. But yeah, it's two and a half hours of game footage, pretty well cut, no missing plays. And uh, I'm going to just tell you that in spite of the low definition and just the sort of the blurriness of, of, of the whole translation, I absolutely fucking thoroughly enjoyed myself. Uh, I, I didn't watch it in one sitting, but in the, the three over the course of the three days that I watched it, uh, very many great memories came back. Enjoyed it immensely. Well, that's good. So I will um, in the on the pointless exercise newsletter entry for this, and on Discipio, uh, if you go to this, you will be able to watch the entire thing. I recommend it. But what we're going to watch, because I was too lazy to watch all two hours and 30 minutes of it. Uh, you missed out. You're lost, Andy. I watched. You're lost. Also, also on the YouTube, which is what uh, we're going to be watching here, is a tidy 17-minute and 37-second cut of the of the same game, which apparently was a, a show on TV in, I assume, England, and certainly in Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, it looks like um, I'll put the screenshot of the of the very opening here. We're, Mike and I are both looking at it now. Uh, it's European Chuggo, very clearly. Uh, it's it's two dudes sitting in chairs with a little. Well, actually, they have a little tiny table, but it's a, it's a coffee table shaped like a f- American football, and their set is tremendous. Uh, Mike can enjoy the fact that, that he gets to see the set here at the Discipio Tower, which has I the do. pointless exercise uh, logo hanging on the wall behind me. These guys have, basically, the 1987 version of that, they have a big sign that says foot, ball. Two lines. Foot, and then ball. Foot over ball. Yeah. And it's clearly Kevin Kadick sitting on the left, don't you think? (laughs) Either Kevin or, it looks like the lead singer of The Fix. Actually, I think it's it's two Kevins. I think the guy on the left is Kevin Kadick, and I think the guy on the right is Kevin Fishbane from The Athletic. (laughs) And he is wearing a, a Walter Payton jersey. 
almost like a almost like a Roland Harper. It, it really is. It says bears on it on the front, uh, and the the number is clearly the wrong font. But it does well, have the GSH on the sleeves. You can see the well. That's that. that's authentic. I, the, the 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 blue doesn't seem quite so navy, uh, but maybe that's just the. Uh, you know this video itself, like you say, is um, is as old as this game because and and I and I can vouch for this because I do remember being in London in 1995, right after Labor Day, the same weekend the Bears opened the season with a stunning Juan Stedian era opening day victory uh, over the Vikings. And, Eric Kramer and Curtis Conway connecting at least once, maybe twice. We had to get into a plane, onto a plane after that game and fly to um, Great Britain for my cousin's wedding. And we spent the week in Ireland and England. And the next Sunday, we were still there. And the next Monday, I was still there. I was coming back the next day. And that, you might recall, was when the Bears and the Packers played uh, on Monday night when Brett Favre converted a third and 10 from his own one uh, for a 99 year touchdown when they burned Donnell Wolf, uh, Wolford from Robert, uh, Robert Brooks, Brooks, I think Brooks. caught it. Yep. And the only reason I bring that up is because I remember being in a bed and breakfast somewhere outside of London on that Monday night, desperately trying to see if maybe I could find some weird channel that would have a live American football. It didn't come close. However, I found a show that was very similar to this. I can't imagine it would be an iteration of the same show, but they were recapping a Dolphins Patriots game from the day before. And that's all that I got and was not able to watch uh, Brett Favre carve up the bears. So it's probably a good thing. Well, uh, one of, one of the men in blazers, uh, Roger Bennett, men in blazers. It's a, it's a, it's a American show with two British guys talking about, um, Soccer, English football, and Roger Bennett uh, is from England, and he has family who lived in Chicago. And he became a huge Bears fan as a kid, and he wrote a book, um, which I read. Oh, time. I've heard of this guy. I've heard yeah. him interviewed, and he came over in '86, I think. Yeah, he's right in the in the sweet spot of the yeah. Super Bowl era. But he talks about about this was how they. Sometimes they would get a full game, but usually this is how they would watch football. So this may have been what I saw in 1995. It's only eight years after this. I don't recall. I mean, I just remember there was something on that the only morsel of American football I could get was a half-hour recap from the day before. I missed it. I just scrolled down a little bit. Their their set is amazing. It says American football. It's a different, a different color, a different font, I think. Yeah. But the chairs are majestic. They look like they... Uh, <laughs> Looks like they killed an actual referee and upholstered chairs with his hide. Right. Or, or soon Pee Wee Herman's going to be running onto the set that someone stole uh, stole his chairs. Yeah. Um, so I did watch this. That was the prep I did. I watched it. And um, I didn't. I didn't have time. I intended to, but I figured when we did this assignment, like, hey, let's. You know, Bears are playing the Giants, right? And and we do in this format. Unlike the for those of you that listen to both the Cubs, remember this crap. It's a little bit more uh, tethered to who the Bears are playing. And just by the quirks of the schedule, this is the third straight year that the Bears have played the Giants. Of course, you know we typically dive into the history uh, when they first face the team, and then we just sort of lazily reran that one last year. And like you know, there aren't a lot of memorable Cubs or Cubs Bears Giants games uh, but then we kept talking about this one so I was committed to watch the two and a half hour version I meant to watch this I didn't so I'm in for a treat I hope because I have not uh, pre- pre- 
previously seen that. All the all the important plays are here, but it is cut weird. Um, thanks for the warning. So we'll we'll kind of listen along, and we'll take us. You know, we don't have to. It's, you won't have Wayne Walker chirping in the background for two and a half hours this time. That's right. We only got it's seventeen minutes. So we will stop and start, but I think we have to listen to our our hosts as they introduce this. They set if it up, only they you set can it up see. brilliantly. Well, no, if, if they want, they'll be able to go on Alpha. This video will be in True, they can true, watch. true, true. Yeah, check it out, kids. Games from the preceding 48 hours. And tonight we've got a very special game between the winners of the last two Super Bowls. It's Chicago Bears versus the New York Giants. And it was only six months ago that the Giants were dumping barrels of Gatorade over their coach. Which, Bill of okay. course. Two, we had two bows to pick right away, right? <laughs> six months ago, Super Bowl wasn't in March. It's not six months ago. I know That's calendars right. are the same over there, right? It, right. Eight months. They're all right. Not, yeah, not, yeah, a metric, not a metric calendar. Yeah, Greenwich time is still it abides by the twelve months. You know, and I was hoping, I was hoping that the British were going to crack this case. They show here Harry Carson dumping Gatorade on Bill Parcells in Super Bowl twenty one. I was like, oh, I the British, they're going to have the footage of Dan Hampton dumping a Gatorade bucket on Mike Ditka before in, in the, proving that the yeah, Bears 19, invented this stupid tradition. Not two time. years before in the Hump Dome of Minnesota, with you know, in that, yeah, late uh, late November eighty four. Alas, nobody, nobody had ever seen that before. But the the Giants stole that. So, for the record, the New York Giants totally fucking stole that shtick and ran with it. That's pretty second rate for the so-called, you know, first city. But yeah. whatever. In celebration of their crushing defeat over the Denver Broncos in yeah. Pasadena, which was par for the course. The for last the NFC. time the Giants and the Bears met was in the '85 divisional playoff games, and the key play in that game was yeah. Sean Landetta's punt, which was blocked on the six-yard line. Was punt? Was it? Was it blocked? <laughs> As he's showing it on the video. Now, when I watched, I I had red zone on on the, over the weekend, and so I think I think it actually happened after the Bears had wrapped up their exciting win over the Texans. <laughs> exciting. Dolphins punting out of their own end zone against the Bills. I saw that clinging, clinging to a lead, and that announcer was talking about see that. should they take a safety here strategically? They probably should just take a safety. And the original angle you saw, and the the announcers both thought that the punter literally just kicked the ball backwards over his head. Oh, because they didn't see they didn't see what happened. They they saw him kick it. They knew there weren't any bills near him, and they couldn't figure out how the ball went behind. Well, then they saw that this personal protector had back. He was in the end zone. The ball was on the one. So they don't. They didn't have the full like thirteen yards. Right. Right. So they're compressed. The personal protector should have inched up, and he didn't. So the punter is closer to him. So the personal protector takes one step back, gets hit right in the ass with the punt. Did you happen to see where uh, Mark Sanchez tweeted about them stealing his bit? That was good, right? That was like a butt fumble. Yeah, there were, there were two vindications over the weekend. There was there was now a butt punt to go with the butt, the butt fumble, and Dan Orlovsky, who famously just ran, ran out, out of the end zone. Jimmy Garoppolo did the same thing on Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they lost. That's how you get up the safety. They lost eleven to ten. I, I didn't even see that game. I just saw the score. Wow. Well, right. they get up the safety. They uh, they had the lead but, late. It wasn't because of the yeah, but that was the two. It was the decisive point. Was Jimmy I want to mention this? I, I want to mention backwards. this now. That's incredible. I want to mention this now because we're about these guys, and we've talked about this before. I was at the game. I was fortunate enough as a thirteen-year-old to be in attendance in this cold ass uh, January of '86 when the Bears were just burning a path to the championship. And this is the last time they faced the Giants before this game that we're playing. And in this game, many of you know, 
uh, Giants punter Sean Landetta um, whiffed on a punt in the swirling, freezing Arctic air of Soldier Field. It was early in the game, so you know we were never too worried anyway as Bears fans, but it kind of set the Bears on their way, and then they don't face each other. I only bring this up because I don't I don't know, since I hadn't watched what they cut out here, but having watched the, the rewatched this game, um, it is pretty fucking hilarious. First thing I want to say is the Soldier Field crowd, even for that old dump, uh, kudos to them. They were really uh, hilarious during this game. And it just felt like you could just hear through the ABC broadcast the mocking of Sean Landetta the <laughs> first time he came onto the field to punt. And Jim Rebar, longtime uh, Soldier Field PA announcer, you hear his name. You hear, and he, you know, Landetta in this game, and I don't know if this video is going to catch it, he had a brutal game. And I, I had forgotten that. Everyone remembers this kick in 85, the 85 divisional playoff game. It's iconic, and it's like certainly a, a, a stamp in the Bears season. But uh, it's hilarious that, you know, not too long after, both teams are still in this elite sphere that Sean Landetta still could not fucking kick at Soldier Field, even on a warm September night. So I wanted to throw that out there now in case it doesn't. Might have been too subtle for the eighteen-minute well, cut. And Madden deserved a lot of credit for he seemed to spot it immediately during the championship game. He's like because right. somewhere else a punt blocked by I forget who they thought blocked. Gales would have picked Sean Gale. Still, right? Gale scored the touchdown. Yeah, and uh, they show, as the first replay is rolling, Madden just yells, "I Pat, I think he whiffed. I think he just whiffed." <laughs> and he There's did. a combination of the wind and him fucking just. Freaking out about yeah. this Bears defense that which you know we'll talk about it tonight. We've talked about before around this time, just the throughout the course of a game were just a terrifying menace. So the Bears won the game 21 0 and then went on to win Super Bowl 20. 21 0. That's what that's what they said. You didn't, didn't say love. Now we go over to Soldier Field where before the game, Al Michaels talked to injured quarterback Jim McMahon and Frank Gifford talked to Lawrence Taylor. Okay, so um. Euro Kev here. Um, he teases both interviews, right? Yes. Well, you listen to what happens. <laughs> Out of order, right? I've been called everything. I've been called, you know, uh, crazy, a dummy. Uh, I've been called uh, cokehead. I've been called the greatest linebacker. Eventually, I've been called a statutory and, uh, rapist. I've, I've been called everything. I've been called selfish, um, conceited. Right, I am. And I kill quarterbacks on Sunday. So they even call me a linebacker, even though I line up outside of that. I'm like a... You give me a job and I'll try to get it done the best way yeah, I can. You know who else does that? Milk man. He does game? the same thing. I have a lot of fun on Sundays and, and um, anytime I go out there and play football and, and be able to hit people and, and, and hear them hurt, it's, it's a lot of fun. You know, that sounds strange to people who don't know this game, but uh, that is a thrill, isn't it? It's interesting, well, Frank talking about talking to a defensive guy about just annihilating someone. Didn't Frank miss an entire season because Chuck Bednar hit him so hard he missed the entire true. next year? Yeah. And, and it's something I think about when watching this game because the the '85 Bears are still alive in this game, as we'll see. Frank's like, you know, you know, Lawrence, you know what I like to hit stewardesses. Yeah, but in a not in a very consensual way. Hit on. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know. I've, Fans don't want to turn on the football game and see uh, powder puff. They don't want to see people tagging guys down or right. uh, people LTs in the camp of like, yeah, let's not protect the quarterback. Of course, he's a defensive player. 
like, you genuinely Oof. enjoy that, don't you? I, I really do. That's the Jim oh, McMahon and interview. We don't, we, we don't get the Jim McMahon interview. Huh? <laughs> first of for, all, they show him for right. a second, and then they cut right to the... Um, yeah, first of all, Flock of Kevins introduces it as Jim McMahon and Lawrence Taylor, but then it actually comes out as Lawrence Taylor goes first. So that's a little confusing, and then Jim McMahon gets uh, caught up. I, and I will point out, all right, real quick, petty, uh, petty grievance in the, our household where we're just being second city, uh, not going to give credit. LT, of course, was the reigning MVP, which to this day is only the second time a defensive player has won the MVP. Of course, we've talked at length about the first one, which is Alan Page. Uh, and it had, nobody has won it since. Uh, but the one big my dad would get was, the greatest linebacker. He's They have four linebackers. He's on the outside. You know, of course, we're in Chicago. We've got linebackers in the middle of the field. LT obviously revolutionized the position, but at the time we were not going to give him any credit and uh, he was a cokehead. So we get to, you know, unfairly just throw that on the pile too, but he was the reigning MVP, which again, defensive player. Has so Robert, Robert Quinn wasn't the NFL, wasn't the NFL MVP. Last he year. just fucking should have been. He had 18 and a half sacks. No. Yeah. And, you know, and LT, we should also point out the bears and giants did not play a lot. Oddly enough. Right. Like the Bears, you know, played the 49ers, never really overcame the 49ers, right? And like in the playoffs, like unlike the like the Blackhawks did with the Red Wings and the Cubs did with the Cardinals. They, they, they oddly enough, didn't go through Sanford, but they did beat Washington. It kind of felt like the Giants weren't really on that much. They hardly ever played in the regular season. This is like the only time in the 80s, I think, that they would have faced each other. So we didn't face Taylor a lot, and but he still – I don't know, four or five times. He did not record a sack until his last game in 93. Somehow he was never much of a menace for us. I mean, well, I'm sure for Redskins and Eagles and NFC East fans, he was a goddamn nightmare, but he never really registered for us, right? I mean, the somehow was Jimbo Covert. Exactly. 100%. 100%. And you'll see it today. The Bears' O line here is one of the, you know, this is the hell of a performance. So this is interesting. The very first play we see is the Bears punting. <laughs> So just quality quality offense on the first possession. Well, fairly. the the starting quarterback for the Bears, you know, they, and they talk about it. Al and and Frank and Dan is you know it's 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 Mike Tomzak, the undrafted rookie free agent from two years earlier, and this is a team that just won the Super Bowl and has only lost, like you said has lost three games in two seasons, and. Uh, yeah, so that probably speaks to why the Bears didn't really make it back to the Super Bowl. So but McMahon is still out recovering from the shoulder surgery from the Charles Martin hit, right? I think that's the timeline. I don't know if he tried to come back after the Martin injury made it worse, like Mark Pryor or anything, but all of that kind of started from that. Well, he ran. Also, Jim McMahon, ironically, also ran into Marcus Giles. I don't know how he did. Marcus right. was just a little kid. Couldn't help it. Tripped over Couldn't him. Couldn't help it. And, um, but yeah, so McMahon starts. McMahon is still our guy. We need McMahon. We know that. We never had a backup plan. It really is a critical flaw. Maybe other teams didn't do that nowadays. Of course, you know, I mean, you should have a solid backup. And I was surprised to see on the sideline. I had forgotten that Doug Flutie came back. I thought the whole thing was such a disaster and it alienated the team so much. How Ditka camped for him that I just thought after that playoff loss the previous yeah, year too. and the the stunning loss when the fourteen and two beer they followed up a Super Bowl championship eighteen and one season by going fourteen and two and then going kerplat and there was tension. But yeah, Flutie was the well, that's quite a quarterback. They, went out and, they had then. So yeah, they had so they had McMahon who was 
rehabbing. They had Tom Zach, their starter. They had Flutie as the backup, and then they had first-round draft pick, good old number fourteen, Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, not Ken Mastroli. Ken Jim Harbaugh was wearing fourteen as a rookie. Who was wearing four? Fuller was gone. I don't. Maybe nobody. Maybe Harbaugh. I don't know. Maybe because he settled on four. Equipment guys no. probably like uh, I. Jim, I'd have to make four. Right. I don't want, you're I don't a, want to sew today. Here, take fucking 14. Wear that. You're not going to make the team anyway. Now I'm going to make the team. I'm going to be around for 10 years. You're, <laughs> you're a late, you're a late first round draft pick. No, you know, I think it really is a tragic flaw, as you'll see in this game. In this game, oddly enough, it will, we'll maybe discuss it when we get to it, but it turns out to be probably Mike Tomzak's shining moment, ironically enough. Uh, at least the third quarter was just like this ridiculous spectacle. And the, the Bears uh, which, have a we'll new see. fullback. In this game as well. That's the other thing. That's the other thing. Oh, you know, we a completely miscast fullback. This is well, but they a have fullback. One of it my was... favorite bears of all time, Neil Anderson. Yeah, is, Neil looks good. They instead of just having him like, um, we're gonna give Walter a rest once in a while. We're gonna play Neil. They're like, nah, we're just gonna play them both at the same time. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, and so and Suey was still on the team, as we'll see, who does some stuff. So, yeah, yeah there's a, it's an interesting time because of the pay. The Bears are still – they are legitimately in a, one of the most elite teams in the league. Peyton, though, which is funny because this is about the fifth or sixth time we've done this, and it's spanned about 12 years. We did a game, as, you, as some listeners will recall, uh, that stretches back to 79 when Peyton was spectacular and surrounded by mediocrity. Uh, a team that managed to eke into the playoffs. And then we've done three games from 85 where Peyton is old, but it makes it more exceptional because he is so old and so productive for an awesome team. So it's great to see. And he's putting the the Niners away on the last drive and just, you know, all of that. And, uh, you know, by the game we did in 91, he was gone. So when you watch this game, warning, if you watch Peyton, it's a little bittersweet because, you know, he fights and he he gets his yardage. But I do remember 87 was just – he had already announced his retirement, right? Uh, he, it was a, it was not a, a game of cat and mouse like all these assholes do today. You know, Doctor J did the same thing the year before, and you know got the whole tour and like so everyone knew it. And uh, and Anderson, the first round pick, right after they won the Super Bowl, was in his second season and uh, and and didn't really do much that first year because Peyton was still racking up like thirteen hundred yards. You know, what are you gonna do? Fucking, put, it'd be stupid. But it was pretty clear when you watch this game, and it's a little painful. But it's the, he still has some good moments, and it's cool because the Bears kick ass and they're still elite. But yeah, from the Walter Payton perspective, a little, a little, a little sad yeah. at times. So anyway, the first play we're going to get is uh, new punter. Um, why did I forget that they had changed? Punter? Brian Wagner. Brian Wagner. No more Maury Buford. But more Brian would Wagner, come back. number four. Maybe he could. Maybe uh, no. Brian Wagner's fifteen. They might he uh, they, they 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 got oh, Mike Phipps's yeah. approval to uh, to break out the fifteen. Yeah, so Maury came along in '85, and then I think I don't know maybe pissed off Ditka, but he came back. Maury ended up being all the way through mm-hmm. the Ditka run, but at some point he was gone. We got this guy Brian Wagner. Maybe Maury got a better offer. He was selling Chevys or something for a while, and, and could have been. Finally came back to punt. To go downfield to his second, maybe even his third receiver. So good job that time by the Bear offensive line. Brian Wagner, who won the job from Maury Buford, hacked his punt block. And Maury got caught. It's Tom Flynn for the touchdown. Flynn blocked the punt against 
it's Revenge of 85. Touchdown, it was blocked by Eric Howard, the backup to Jim Bird at nose tackle. He blocked it, and Flynn picks up this year where he left off last year by scoring a touchdown. So it was a bad snap. Uh, Wagner had to jump for it, and it, it was a... It was the line was a sieve. Half the Giants were in the end zone before mm-hmm. Wagner went to punt it. So the Giants, who famously didn't score in the NFC Championship game, their last visit to Soldier Field, yep, immediately score on special teams in the same end zone that Sean Landetta was doing his whiffing. Yep, I guess it would be right. Yep, you're right. So, wow, I hadn't even considered so, that. Whoa. So here you go now, Mike Tomkazak in the game of the century, is uh, already down 7 nothing. Was that, do we even, is that even the first drive? Yeah, I can, whatever. That's the first score of the game. Pre-game show, it pays off for the Giants right here. Good move by Howard. He comes around his man. He's right in the face. What's Chico? Who'd Chico Rivera block? I guess he blocked. Right from the right side, number 74, Eric Howard. There it is. Doesn't go for the punter, goes for the ball. Two yards in front of the kicker and gets the block. Oh, really? Thanks, Dan. That's what they always must remember. You do not Oh, and we have great, uh, we have great kicker here. Raul Allegri is the Giants. You brought him up before because he uh, he beat the Bears in overtime for the Colts in 83. And then Ditka punched the locker in. Three snapper, John Addicts was Okay. All right, so now the Bears have the ball. On there, no on fox there. box, so we don't know what the down and distance still, or anything is. Still the first quarter. Bears have the ball on their um, 25, and it's a very interesting formation right away. Your backfield is Matt Suey and Emery Moorhead. <laughs> Peyton is lined up as in like the wing over there. Ed, Ed Hughes. He's an offensive genius. Yeah, Ed Hughes. Most of the work. Moorhead went in motion. I was playing tight. Second and nine. Peyton in motion. Oh, they're on the, uh, my bad, they were on the Giants 25. So we picked this drive up already in motion. Yep. So now they're down to the yep. 10. Four-yard shy of a first down. It'll be a big third and four coming up. Carson making the stop. That's Jim Rebar in the background. That's the first. Oh, this Suey. His hands are as good as his legs. Like, you're just failing in your first game, Dan. Like, I mean, he can't. Trying... Walter could run on his hands, right? Didn't we, didn't we see him, like, doing that down uh, the practice? Supposedly, he could walk out the length of a football field on his hand, like on a handstand where he's just walking on his hands. I, I don't know why. Meant. Maybe Deardorff's just got some stage for, like, it's his first game. Like, what can oh, you say about At this point, Walter Payton has been, like, for 24 yeah. months, the NFL's long all-time leading rusher. Like, yeah. yeah, he's absolutely fumbling. Just shut up, Dan, all right? Because like, even Frank eloquently in 85, like, they would just say things that quietly – like just shut up! Like you don't have to tell us anything. Like his hands are like his legs. The guys, just shut up. Breaking news: Walter Payton, good at many football things. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. 
You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Not the best of business for nothing. Can't do. This drive nothing he can't. All right, it's big third and five. So thus far, four yards. And Tom Zack at the helm is third and four at the ten. And Tom Zack hooks it out to Suey. God bless you, Matt Suey. Fourth and one at the seven. Got to go for it, right? I mean, here's Mike Ditka. No, nah, yeah. Although we find out in this that uh, apparently they've already had a fourth and one in this game, and they didn't make it. Uh, I believe that's right. Was it was it Peyton? Because they converted some other short yardages later where Tom Zach just took the sneak. They decided to do it. At the seven. At first. Look at Dick in the suit. Fourth and one. Two yeah, so uh, we got we got to do a Ditka check, right? Because there's all very you know the guy was a coach for 11 years, all kinds of different motifs. We've talked about perm, perma Ditka, which is kind of the early years, but I think the perm would come back. There was like the Lions main Ditka. There was the guy that would wear like the Bears like kind of like pullover, not a hoodie, and well, then you can, he, sometimes you can see a guy wearing that sweater in the background. Yes, Ditka. this is what he wore during the Super Bowl. And so did Buddy Ryan. And so then at some point, and this could be the first ever game. I mean, here's another thing. The Bears, we've talked before that until like uh, 1989 when ESPN got their their, their beak wet, uh, primetime games were not guaranteed anybody. So that we'd go years. The Bears were never on Monday night. Of course, now they're, they're getting to be, you know, on a lot. I feel like this might be one of the first games with Ditka absolutely like rocking a, a goddamn suit. Maybe not though. I think, but he, I do think he kind of alternated. He'd go through all these different looks. It's kind of funny. That's why I, you know, made sure we do a Ditka check because the many the many faces of Mike Ditka. He doesn't just have a suit on. He's got a suit on. He's got a pocket square. You can even see on his tie. He's got like the little right. tie pin. I mean, he's and there's a point in this game because again, I watched the whole thing where. He must have just opened up his first restaurant, not the yeah, one that it was on Oak Street or Chestnut. It was actually not out by the Ontario entrance ramp. There was a Magnum's there in the late later 90s. But uh, Ditka City Lights, I think it might have been called. Mm-hmm. They make a reference, Al and them. They talk about the restaurant. And this is obviously doesn't have to be said, but it might as well, because I know there could be some people that didn't live through this. But we are really just getting further into like the sort of uh, – Peak Ditka. I mean, he's he's enjoying it, and the team is awesome. So, like, nobody would ever dare even call him out at this point no. because, again, they've lost three games over two years, and uh, he's well, he's kind of on top of the world right now. I mean, frankly, I, I guarantee you, know, knowing Ditka the way we know Mike Ditka, part of the reason for the suit is this is peak Ditka. Like, he's still in he's still in great shape. Yes, he looks good. And across the way is the rumpled Bill Parcells in that lumpy fucking giant sweater and the front butt. Good point. And I guarantee you, Ditka's like, fuck it. I'm going to dress like this and that schlub over guy. there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to keep. Pop- and maybe also knowing how Ditka that, you know, maybe Bigsby and Carruthers came by. And oh, gave yeah. He's free clearly getting paid. Ditka, didn't, Ditka wouldn't walk across the fucking street if he didn't pay him 20 bucks to do it. <laughs> In the first period, oh, there's Bill. Exhibit, exhibit B, right. Looking like a. No wonder why Bill Belichick dressed like a slime. He was like oh. Parcells' staff. Did you see Calvin Thomas? So Ditka stands there for a minute, turns and says, kick it. And Calvin Thomas is like, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> He's all pissed off. He's ready to go. Stand right in front of the great Cap Boso. 
Is that Kep also in 86? Because there's an 86. I couldn't figure it out. That's it's right after you can see Anderson. So he was on the team as late as 91. So I didn't know Cap Boso no, was Cap like shit. He, he, was, he hung around forever. Yeah, Cap had a long, illustrious I didn't know he had such a long run. Wow. We're already done with Tim Reitman, right? Isn't he like. Yeah, I think Reitman was right blue out his knee or gone. whatever. And he's, now yeah. he's off to being a backup under a stunt he's double Magnum P.I. or some shit. Screen Actors Guild card. Yeah, I, he's out of football by now. And he's going to go for three. How much of his oh, there's decision three. was I based that upon the fact that he's already tried it once on fourth and one and got stuck That's right. in the line of scrimmage? I forgot what that play was. Field field was giving the field go ahead and go for the first down, but I think Mike has lost a little confidence up front. Kevin Butler with Jim Harbaugh, the rookie. Lost bully. a little confidence. I don't know. So I, know I mean, you this. got Tom Zach. Go ahead. Um, Al tells you who the holder is. He's a rookie, Jim Harbaugh. He does yep. it every time there's a kick. He does. He does. Well, you know, descriptive. Yeah, but he—it's not just a Harbaugh to to hold. It's he's still the—he's the Michigan rookie every fucking. Time. Oh yeah, oh it's fully identified. I don't know if he's kissing De- Deardorff's ass. Or... Good point. And good. The other thing, folks, when you when you if you go back and watch this, right behind Jim Harbaugh as he kicks it, there's a towel. He came out with a towel. He threw a towel on the field. Apparently, that wasn't a no-no back then. Maybe it's the Harbaugh right. rule. So a nice, well-conceived, well-run drive by Tom Zack results in three. A minute 39 to go in the period. Okay, so seven-three. So now we're we miss <laughs> we miss quite a bit of meat because here it is now the Bears second quarter minute two to go in the half. Bears have the ball at the Giants eight. Yeah, these British really don't know how to cut up a game. By the way, at the eight-yard line. I don't know why they would show that play of all plays that they... Well, they're going to show the rest of the drive. But Neil Anderson's in at halfback. Walter is on the bench. There, I think by this point, rookie rookie in his first NFL game, Ron Morris, has made his first reception. He made two. And in my head, I remember thinking, did I dream that Ron Morris caught a touchdown in the game? And then I'm watching this. He makes a nice catch in the first quarter. Oh, no, I must have not dreamed that. I must have dreamed that because that's the catch I'm thinking of. And he does actually, you'll get to it later, catch one. But... So um, I don't know. So don't Ron, Ron Morris did make a catch at one point, his first NFL catch shortly before where we're at here. So I don't know if you noticed this when you watched the first time. So Neil Anderson's in at halfback. So they're showing Walter. Walter's standing next to the bench, looking, you know, a little pissed off. They're at the, they're at the eight, and he's not in the game. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Yeah. So he kind of he walks over, sits on the bench. Now watch what happens for the if you guys are watching this. Uh, he, yeah, there's a trainer who is handing Walter some pills, and there's and Walter. That the Al's like they're retaping him, and they are. They're taping his ankle. Ah, but Walter is holding some pills in a Gatorade cup. Meanwhile, and there go the pills. Yeah. What's well, <laughs> the NFL? Side line. Hey, Walter, you like some painkillers? Sure. Right. There, I'll take it. Because like Peyton, uh, maybe is, uh, he's it a could freak- be vitamins, or it could just be a little Peyton. Advil. Peyton, even though this would be like his first statistically down season, is a freak of nature. And in the full broadcast, these guys, of course, they do, you know, uh, give him uh, justice. And, and, you know, he's he's 30. Here's a fact that these guys bring up at one point in the game that Peyton, I believe this is his 169th consecutive game, right? And they bring up two players that are second and third of active players. 
One was, and I can't remember his name because, God, he was so unknown. I think he was like a Detroit running back between the Billy Sims and, and Barry Sanders. I heard the name of James Jones. or I can't remember. The other one was Kurt Warner. Not that yeah, Kurt yeah, Warner. The Kurt but, the yeah, the Seattle, uh, Penn State, Seattle Seahawks, Kurt Warner. And I wish I committed. I think it was, I think they were tied at like uh, like 24 and Peyton was at 160. Now, like, or what it was was that their consecutive game streak only with both of them only went back two years. And at this point, Peyton still, as you watch this game, Peyton is on a streak of 106, dating back to 1975. Dating back, has not missed a single NFL game for a running back who is at this point now two years running the well, he, all-time leading rusher in NFL. He played in 190 of 191 possible games. So I'm off. Whatever this is, is would be yeah, 170. He would play 11 more yeah, after this. So he, this was. One, I don't know if they count the playoff games either, but this was one started to rack those up. 179, not 169. Got but, it. Yeah, he missed the game, but he did. The only game he missed was in his um, rookie year. It was in 75. Because he would play on special teams. He didn't really start being a running back till like the end of his rookie year. Yeah, he only started seven games of the 14. Yeah. He started half the games in 75. And then he started every game after that. Incredible. In case you don't know that, and in case you forget to appreciate it, stop and let that sink in. So so what do we got? We got second and goal from the ugh, close to the eight. So Neil got no gain. Neil's in at halfback. Matt Suey is playing fullback, and they, they're lined up. You could tell, I think, that they have put in a bunch of new plays for Neil and Walter to be together. And with Walter out, Suey is running the other one because he's not lined up as a fullback. He's lined up as like a second halfback. Great yeah. use. Great use of Matt Interesting Suey. formation. Second and goal. A half a minute to go in the half. Morris in motion. And Tom back over the middle to Suey. And Suey is down inside the one-yard line. It's hilarious right now. Can I provide contact to Dan Deardorff losing his shit, which is hilarious. In this in this situation, this is a very weird – and this is the end of the first half. I watched this game. All right, what happened, just what, what we saw there was uh, Tom Zach hitting Suey coming out of the backfield inside the five, and he almost made it to the goal line and got stopped short. It was a weird stutter drive that was almost Nagy-esque, I think, at some points. I can't remember some of the specifics, but I did watch this recently in in its length, in its entirety. And I think at this point, um, the Bears are still down 7-3, to I believe, because they would would score on this drive, spoiler alert. But it was a drive where they actually – Tom Zek was very unsteady until this drive. It was like, holy shit, we're on prime time. We don't have a quarterback. At one point, Tom Zek was – this is a fact – was 9 of 21, uh, and this is mostly in the first half. Uh, it was just wasn't clicking. I mean, we're watching something where you're seeing positive plays, but it was a bit of a slog. But they put together this drive, stops and starts, but then so, and they, they weren't necessarily – it was almost more uh, in spite of themselves, the coaching staff. Like they weren't really managing the clock that well, but it wasn't hurting them. And Deardorff here is freaking out that – they get only because what happened was what happened was they got a first and goal at the four and got a delay a game, which is admittedly uh, unforgivable. And so that's why in this in that play to Suey, it's mm. a second down, it's a second and goal from the, the nine. nine. Yeah. But here's the thing: they have two timeouts. Yeah. Okay, just let that sink in. 
And what's funny is that like, it was brought up earlier is that there's a they let the clock run down at one point, which may or may not have been like uh, dubious. They had all three timeouts. Ditka was saving his timeouts or whatever. And, and one was used, and it was used at a weird spot, I think. But they had two, and on this play that we just watched, they get down to the one, and the clock's ticking, but they have two timeouts. It's going to be third down, and, and right. it's going to be the last. They're going to they have play. And Deardorff is, like, losing his shit, like, because he's just like a, this Chip Carey thing where, like, sometimes guys just can't beat the moment and, like, keep it under – I know it's prime time. I know this is a lot of hype here, but it's like uh, announcers, they get so out in front of themselves and somehow Deardorff's got it stuck in his head that the timeouts are an issue. It's like, settle the fuck down. That's yeah, not I mean, what's going on. The Bears are going to run on third down, and if they don't make it, they're going to call timeout and they're going to kick a field goal. Most likely. And, and then or the they're going to go thing, for it again. And there's But there's two plays left in the half. They have a timeout. So, like, either way, like, they're in control. They're not going to – no one needs to fucking panic. Calm down, Deardorff. Moron. They call a timeout. They take the timeout with 13 seconds inside the one-yard line. Well, there's a situation where Mike Tomczak has got to stop the clock quicker than that. Why? No, he doesn't. Drives for the goal line. Definitely not in. Yeah, so what? You're saying he didn't call time right after he was down. A very young mistake. That's what Frank says. Yeah, excuse me. Frank's buying in. If two timeouts, assholes. Yeah. Cares. Well, they've taken enough time off the clock so they don't have to worry about the Giants if they score. But what they have to worry about right now is not getting it into the end zone. It is. They have a timeout still, Al. So this is this game is 35 years ago. This game, right? 1987. Mm-hmm. Is that my math? No, right? Almost, yeah, almost to the day. 35 years later, Al Michaels still doing games. Good point. And he's still good. Like yep. he's not. He's not he's, just hanging on. He's, he's probably still. He's, he's, the, he's, the, he's the. He's the worthy heir to Vince Scully. Yeah. Is also third down. They had yeah. one timeout. Thank you. I like that Dick is yelling at Tom. It's basically, don't fuck right. Just whatever you do, asshole. Don't fuck. His way down to the point now where Ditka says he could be used. So they talk about the fridge. But there he is. One of the problems with that right now is Perry hasn't been out on that field for a long time. And he is not what you would call loosened up and warmed and ready to go in there. And I think that probably would be one of the things that would mitigate against his being in there as a running back. I don't know what Frank's me to imagine that he's not loose. So I don't, I don't get, I didn't get Deardorff's joke. It's either he's a fat guy, so he's always loose. That doesn't make any sense. Or the fact that they show him on the sides, he's just standing there yucking it up with Dorsett. Right. It's not like he's all that, you know, I think maybe that was it. Like he seems very relaxed. Maybe. Um, You're kind to Deardorff. But what they do, and I think they'll say it here in a second. I thought by now, two years afterwards, the fridge thing was basically. No. He no, because he had fumbled the, in the preseason in the, the week. Before. No, and and next time or jumped offside. I'm going to remember some crap here. Okay, Al Al Michaels. I wonder if Al was excited about broadcasting a free touchdown. But again, I realize that this is Al's second season. And I don't know what the Bears were on Monday night in '86. I don't know if the fridge got in, but Ditka did not give that up. And there was a game in '87, which was the only game that Jim McMahon ever threw for 300 yards, which is like a thing for me. Which is funny what happens in this game with Tom Zach because he comes awfully close. Is that it never happened for us? We were living in an age when like Dan Marino and Joe Montana and like Ken O'Brien and 
like all these like guys are and the Bears could never not even McMahon even was healthy could never you know because the Bears offense couldn't throw for three hundred yards. Uh, you know, they, uh, it was just, but in 87, he did it on a Monday night game in Denver McMahon, but it was a frustrating game. It's also on YouTube. And in that game, one of the things that happens is that fridge fumbles at the goal line oh, yeah. and the Broncos recover. And uh, I don't think that ever after that point, I think that's what it took. Uh, and you know, um, was that's that, on the other side. Was, was that, that in Denver? Yes. It was very frustrating. I remember watching it as a 15 year old. And how angry, like, and like McMahon was valiant, and he finally got to that elusive 300 yards, like 302. But they lost, and it was a game, they, it was a stupid game. They just pissed away. And that was one of the things, like, you know, Dick is still fucking around with Fridge. And remember? they talk about it in this, they talk about it in this game, too, by the way, before, yes, is that Fridge, his weight went up from his rookie year. And so Ditka would hang it over his head like Damocles sword. I'm not going to put you in the backfield if you're a fat ass. And so they do talk about that at other points in this game, that Fridge's weight is a, you know, week to week fucking soap opera. But. Do you remember one of Wani's, uh, Finest moments in Denver when the, when the uh, Bears, when he tried to pass to Jim Flanagan. Yeah. We've talked about that. Yeah. yeah, similar thing. Something happens in Denver. Yeah. People get gimmicky. Just let's just keep. We'll just give the ball to our defensive guys. Yeah. So <laughs> he is sort of revolves when he moves, doesn't he? <laughs> Shut up. Last week, though, Mike put him into the backfield for a short yardage situation yeah, you in the mentioned game this. with the Raiders and he jumped offside. That's how I knew. Oh, that's what it was. He didn't fumble. He jumped Third offside. Which is okay, worse. The other fun. thing I, I... Do you see who's playing the... Who the extra tight end is on this goal line play? Steve McMichael? Steve McMichael. Is that who I see? Yep. Oh, I love it. And they're, the Bears, it's a goal line. Okay, now this is the opposite. I, I defended the Bears on going shotgun in Green Bay a couple weeks ago. But check this out. This is the 1987 Bears. They are at the goal line. Everybody but the center is in a four-point stance at the goal line. They are as low as you can get. Wow. Including Steve McMichael. 15 seconds. Thomas and Sanders wow. the running back. Oh, and Calvin jumps off sides, but he goes in motion. That should have been. Yes. Should it have been? I don't know the rules well enough. I think because he like he came he comes to a stop again and then he tries and, to go. And then again. he went back and he went back into his three points and then he went into motion. Yeah, so I guess so I what, what you'd have to rule as the ref is, did he was he set the second time long enough? Like if you jump and you just turn it into motion, you're fine. But Calvin, jumps, yes, he went back for a second, tries to get back in stance, and that's like fuck it, right. he goes in motion. Well, and they just don't call. And they actually do point that out as a running back. You're okay, you know. Um, you're in the backfield because there he he literally resets. He doesn't. Oh, no. He's out of there for a second. It should have been. Awesome. But you can't stop Mike Thompson from a half yard out. Right. And so, and that's right before the half, and the Bears take their first lead of the game. Yep. I think. I think it's ten to seven. Right. Ten seven. So after a weird sort of. On and off drive, they yeah. Finally, jumping off sides, but keep in mind he's a back. Smart play by Kelly. He he's trying to be funny. Then he went ahead and went in motion, parallel to the line of scrimmage. Still should have been called, like you said. Keith Ortego still on eighty-seven. Oh, that was close. Imagine that. So Tom that was close. In for the score. Bears have the lead for the first time in the game. Harbaugh, the rookie quarterback, holding and Butler to kick. 
Once again, he didn't say Michigan this time. You think he does it in case, like, he reminds, hey, it's a quarterback in case maybe they're going to run a fake? Because you don't point. see that anymore. Because if you fake an extra it's point in 1987, you score, you get a point. No, but uh, all, all, all holders are quarterbacks. And we've talked about this. That's a practice that's been abandoned entirely now. Yeah. It's gone 100% from quarterbacks to punters. No, but my point was if if you fake an extra point in 1987 and you convert, oh. it's still one point. Now, this is a point that I'm going to bring it up now because you might as well when you're watching this game. and It'll factor in. The, it does factor in the second half, even though this does turn out to be a little bit of a blot. But I am really struck in retrospect after I don't know how many years the NFL has since they adopted the two-point conversion. But it is – I swear, I feel like – it's not a good or bad thing. It's probably good – it's actually a good thing, I think, because games are interesting to the end. It has had one of the more profound effects on – just the nature of each discrete game yeah. as far as when they're decided, I guess. It's simple as that. You wouldn't think, oh, shifting that one point, but the whole idea of two score, three score, it's like entirely different in this game, and you're going to see that as this game progresses. Yeah, if you had an 11-point fourth quarter lead. Back you're then, fucked. You yeah, you're secure. Yeah, you're done. That's three score. That's two scores. It, well, basically what it is. Right, I mean, no, it's, three, it's, it's two touchdowns is what it is. Yeah. The, uh, the ability to add one extra point just increases the different mathematical ways you can try to make up a deficit. And, and it's weird. We lived through both eras. It never occurred to me until rewatching this game what a, an effect on the game is that the two-point conversion is. And again, I'm all for it. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It just it definitely has, though, objectively. So now you watch, because you watched the full one. Now, uh, one thing we haven't experienced on this is because it's been mainly showing scoring, and mostly yep. just the Bears have had the ball because – Giants have done nothing on offense. Right. Uh, the man, the myth, Phil Sims, got knocked out in the first half, correct? And the great Jeff Rutledge came in to play quarterback for a series? He, he got knocked out. And if I could find the point in the two-and-a-half-hour two clip where it happens, um, it is so much in line with Wilbur's Marshall's hit on Joe Ferguson, like Todd Bell's hit on Joe Washington. It's a hit by Dent. And it's like – it's not just helmet to helmet, but it's like helmet to like the right side of the chin that isn't even protected, like coming up. And uh, Phil Sims takes a fucking beating in this game that I don't think he actually took in the 85 playoff game. That game was freezing, and I'm sure he did. I'm sure he watched because every game we watch, here's the common thing. This is why we should be, you know, and I'm sure you and I both are grateful that we lived through this and, and watched it. But if you ever go back and watch, and there are mo- a lot of these games are largely in, in uh, you know, just full length, 85, really 84, about the halfway point, 84 playoffs. We did that. We did three games in 85, but you go any game, 84, 85, 86, and really 87. And I, and I forget how much even beyond 85 it goes. It's definitely 84, probably even more so. But it is definitely still a thing here, as you'll see in this home opener in 87, where regardless of how the game starts, eventually the defense just will just keep coming and keep coming, and they will hurt the quarterback like in weird, uncomfortably-looking ways. And another quarterback will invariably come into the game. It did not happen in the Montana game, but that Montana game that we did, the regular season game with Wayne Walker and Dick Stockton, was entertaining and fulfilling and satisfying. And that Montana was dropped, I think, eight times. And even even the great Joe Montana, um, once at least, just was probably absolutely fucking sick of the beer. So, And it's kind of spoiled us, too, in a sense, because we were just kids, 12 or 13 years old, where – 
you know, you start seeing that, and you just start to expect that. Yeah, your defense is always quarterback, do that. Quarterback drops back, and the fucking wall is going to close, and he's going to get hit and possibly hurt, and then throw in this, the the cement parking lot that was painted green that Soldier Field was pointed out. And I want to point out, too, this is the last home opener in which they play on artificial turf. The announcers in the game do mention that uh, they'd already announced that they're bringing in um, uh, natural grass for the 88 season. So the whole combination here some real uh just just if you like violence and just collisions and just awesomeness and just athletes just running around at the, the at the highest levels and just hurting quarterbacks you got to so important Phil Sims I got to give Phil Sims credit I simultaneously understand when he says a lot of stupid shit on CBS or I don't know is he still on CBS Yeah he's, uh, I, he's on the pregame right. show now not I mean from, from this game alone he takes some hits that you wonder how he's even upright uh, and the fact that he comes back, I, I actually have a little. I grew some admiration for Sims because he gets he's in and out of this game just like Mark Wilson and David Humware in that '84 game. He, you know, and he gets his bell rung. So if you watch the full game, and it's it's entertaining, although a little blurry because it's low def '87. Um, I like I like the fact uh, that so he gets he gets knocked out for one series. Rutledge comes in and the Bears sack Jeff Rutledge. He's only in for three plays, and one of them's the sack. It's just like you kind of expected too. Like he's this poor like kid in the wilderness that's coming. The it's it, this is the '85 Bears defense. We actually have Todd Bell on this defense. Couple of caveats, by the way, in the full game that when they show the intros, you notice Gary Fencing is not in the starting lineup because they have uh, Todd Bell is back, has been because he was you know the famous holdout in '85. He's with Duerson as safeties and Fencing. I thought was he hurt, but it was, it, you know everyone made a big to do justifiably so about it being Peyton's last season. It was also Fetzik's last season. Yeah. He does get in this game, but you know, he's, uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, phasing himself out too, but Todd Bell is back and Todd Bell does a few things in this game. So you're throwing on Todd Bell with Wilbur Marshall's another one where games that we've done, even the, uh, every 85 game, Wilbur is just more of a presence than I remember. Otis is fucking Otis puts a lick on Sims. These are some of the greatest athletes yeah, that gotta, are like come through this town. When we wrap up player. at the end, I have a great quote, um, from Otis to Phil Sims. Um, they yeah. were jawing in this game. There's some funny band, and yeah. it's one of the reasons I got Doc, Dr. Z knows one of the things that Otis told Phil. Which is pretty funny. Um, Can't wait to hear it. Because I had to look it up to figure. I was trying to place which injury was this that kept McMahon out, and the closest I could tell was this was still from the Charles Martin. Charles show. Martin, yeah, confirmed. Um, what a shame. Okay, but yeah, Phil's back in. Yeah, Phil, I, I always thought he was overrated, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he should have ever got accused of not being tough. Well, and the one thing they, they they bring up that he did have apparently have a stigma early in his career. He was a first round pick, I think, of the Giants. Uh, Morehead State, Morehead, Morehead State, right? That Emory um, Morehead State, right? Exactly. That he was injury prone apparently early in his career, but that he'd actually put together a, a string of. So he's got pride on the line, but he's probably sick of hearing that shit. Yeah. He's like, "Fuck, I ain't afraid of these '85. I survived the game in '85." I, I think he takes more of a beating in this game than he did in the playoff he's game the, in '85. He's also the. Uh, well, according to the, the British guys, just six months earlier, <laughs> he was a Super Bowl MVP. Right. So, uh, twenty-two of thirty, uh, twenty-two of twenty-five in the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. these are uh, in the, what before. I mean, we're almost halfway through with the video, so I don't feel I'm, I'm 
prattling on too much. It's all context, but and some of it's repetitive. We brought it up before; it doesn't hurt to bring it up again. But just the notion that we that I, you've helped make me realize that it's even more pronounced of just how dominant the NFC was during this time. This is a clash of the fucking time. This these are this is like a, two of the best teams at the time during one of the most dominant era, dominant conferences during one of the most dominant eras, and so you know it's just enjoyable beyond words. That's all I can say. So we've already uh, we've already skipped halftime, and uh, the Giants have the ball. Oh, we we missed more of an LT heart to heart. Yeah, that happened at halftime too. That's probably where they pulled that pregame. The British guys. From the halftime, that could be. Yeah, because they didn't do much of a pregame on Monday Night Football. It was halftime was the way you stuck around for it. Um, exactly. So Giants have the ball, moving, um, moving right to left on your podcast dial, as Howard David might say. Second and five. Lawrence again, and he comes up about a yard short of the he's first fridge. down. And pays the price he's the lim- he's limber. Another guy in that hey, Vesty Jackson is sure it. Yeah, they talk him up early when they introduce him. Guys, try to remember back how you started running the football at the beginning of the game. Meanwhile, Frank, you are down one more notch. <laughs> That's funny. Life's a couple of runs. Life has been mean. They're showing a stat that Joe Morris has passed Frank Gifford on the all-time Giants rushing. Frank is, now, Frank is now fourth. Now it's I wonder, I wonder what he is now. Oh, Tiki Barber So they must have showed that just so we could see the uh, illustrious uh, passing of the torch because now we've cut ahead um, to future action in the third quarter, and the Bears have the ball at the Giants' 42. And they, and they are lined up with... Uh, Two halfbacks, Walter Payton and Neil Anderson. Right, 34 and 35. What do you get when you add 34 and 35, Andy? It's uh, a nice number. It's a nice pick. They could go quickly over Herb Welch. Pressure, contact, off-balance, throws, and it's caught for a touchdown. In his first Moore. NFL game. So, so that, that a lot of exciting stuff here. This is Ron Morris uh, from SMU. Second-round uh, pick. Son of a Bears all-time leading receiver Johnny Morris. I don't right. think he doesn't look much like Genie, so maybe. maybe uh, I'm not sure. I don't know about the, fam- the familial resemblance, but he's he's Johnny's kid, Ron. Uh, he yep. would be best known, or at least what I always remember him for was in cold weather when he went to wear gloves. He wore like construction worker gloves. He wouldn't wear the tacky. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because apparently he wore those like in his workouts. He figured if he could catch the ball with those big gloves on, that when he took the gloves off, he could catch everything. But this is a pretty amazing play that he makes. It, it is a it's a horrible it. decision by Mike Tomzak, who is, is who is still fading backwards, has basically both feet off the ground, and just globs the ball down the middle of the field. And um, who did they say the defensive back for the? Uh, well, they're well, they're going to do a replay here in a second. But it's, it's is it Elvis off. Patterson. Elvis, Elvis, no, Elvis gets Elvis team. runs into Willie here in a minute. Um, well, Elvis said does a one thing I'm sure is not in here is just hilarious. But uh, go ahead, sorry. But uh, it looks like it's gonna be intercepted, and Ron literally just rips the yeah. ball out of his hands and runs in for it. Yeah, time. was it Hilliard who ran back? Uh, yeah, forget it. They're gonna show replay. Mark Collins thought he had the Mark Collins. Mark Collins. You know he's down, and the Bears lead by nine. Did you see who came out to hug Tomzak? Kevin Butler. Kevin Butler. 
the kicker who runs yeah. out on the field to hug the quarterback before he goes to kick the extra point. Okay. I want to see know, Kyrie Russell awesome. doing that. What he, why is he so selfish? Right. He won't go hug Justin Fields. Thinking about himself. And what did we say? Hands like flypaper. That's Mark what you said. Okay. I, 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 I didn't know Ron Morris had that reputation. Now, I was excited about Ron Morris because, you know. Yeah, so Ron is not really, he's kind of open, but he's not open where times like threw the ball. Well, it's sort of thrown, yeah. yeah. But he just tears in fact, right out of Mark Collins. In fact, he, would, he wouldn't have been open. If, if times they put it on the spot, Mark Collins would have adjusted his coverage. Yeah. Throw so bad, it was good. That's what they teach those Ohio State quarterbacks, apparently. Yes. Yeah, undrafted free agent quarterback. Again, undrafted free agent quarterback with the Bears, that a, a team that has gone 29-3. and three. It's previous 32 games. So, yeah, so now the Bears are up 17-7. Uh, to 7, And a testament to how good the Giants' offense was that day. Uh, we now cut ahead to future uh, play in the third quarter, and the Bears have the ball on their own. I mean, I, and I'll just tell you, because there was a lot of this. It's not my imagination. In my, in my memory, there's a lot of things I don't quite remember, but, like, watching this, it was pretty much, yeah, the Bears' defense is at that point where they just keep storming the gates. And Phil Sims is running for his life. Every now and then, Jeff Rutledge, who's the backup, uh, goes in. He like he came in a few like Sims didn't just come into the game for the rest. It was just it, it was kind of like uh, just almost like a t- you know like how, how in the Flintstones, Fred's walking down the wall and you see the window and you see a plant and you see this and then all of a sudden you see the same thing on a loop. I kind of feel like that's how it is like uh, with all, all these Bears games with the defense and the defenses on the field, 84, 85, 86, where it's just like eventually you're seeing the same thing, like the quarterback's running back and then all of a sudden the wall surrounds. And so Sims is just getting his ass kicked. Just rest assured that whatever happened uh, between Ron Morris's touchdown and all of a sudden the Bears having the ball at their own 44 is that uh, Phil Sims got his ass kicked at least once and the Bears got the ball back relatively quickly because at one point the Bears were down 7 nothing, and now they're up 17-7. to And uh, we paused here for a second so we could talk, and you can see, well, you can't, but we can see the Bears lined up. They're in the eye. Can you tell who the fullback is? Uh, is it Walter Payton? It's Walter Payton because he's playing fullback. Oh, he's an old man. Neil Anderson is the tail of the tandem, as I'm sure Wayne Larry yeah. was saying. Anderson does look good in this game, though. It's kind of exciting. It's a great thing. game. Without disrespect to Walter, it's... ...takes over to Dawn, 44-yard line. Tom Zang is the perfect 6 of 6 in this half. Exactly. This is Mike Tom Zang's greatest quarter. He's got a man open, and he underthrows the world track athlete. So Willie is open by a good 8 yards. And the throw hangs up so much that the Giants catch up to it. Willie catches it, falls down, and literally just rolls into the end zone right. before he's touched for a touchdown. Like Dick Van Dyke taught us as kids when we were on fire. You just get your ass down and roll. And that's what he did. He, he rolled into the end zone. Look at times like, look what I did. Look what I did. Yes. Dick Dick is a hug. Like, which is interesting because Dick is Flutie was Dick's guy. You always kind of feel like uh, you know, McMahon sort of engineered this whole sort of, uh, you, know, you know, you know, planting a flag around Tom Zach because, you know, Tom Zach was perfect at kissing McMahon's yeah. ass, and Jimmy liked that. So, yeah, you've got Flutie, McMahon, Tom Zach, and Harbaugh, like you said at the beginning. Now a shot of the, the crowd, side. and there's a bunch of cheerleaders. Who are the cheerleaders? They're, they're not, not the, honey bears, they're not the they're Giants gone. cheerleaders because they're excited. 
They are wearing yes. white and blue, and they have great pom poms. I, I don't know who they are. They're not. The yeah. So Elvis Patterson. Yeah, Elvis got toasted there. That was his nickname. They brought they brought up that Elvis's nickname was Toast. The funny thing about Elvis Patterson in this game is like we all remember him. That we, we lived there. They lived with Patterson. Just, no one's going to keep up with Carl. On the on the replay, you can see that Elvis got burned so bad he stopped running. Yeah. And then the throw was so short that I think had Elvis kept running, he may have yeah. actually been able to play the ball. There's something about Elvis Patterson. Like everyone knew who he was, right? When you think Elvis Patterson, what's the first word you think of? Yeah, toast. Everybody did. When I was a freshman at Northern, Ole can vouch for this. We played a pickup game, and I got burned, and then I'm named Toast. And then, like, Nick Elvis Patton. This is back in 1990. They talk about it. And so what's the deal? Why was he keep playing and stuff? And I don't know why. I think maybe he was a streaky player, but it was hilarious that at some point in this game, and I know it's early September, so it's kind of summery. This is a very warm night. It's part of the reason why I think the crowd is, you know, it's a perfect cocktail, I think, for just exuberance. But, um at one point, Elvis is like laying on the field. He thinks he pulled a hammy. The training staff comes out. Everything stops. And they're like doing it. Looks like they're doing like um, body by Jake. Like they're on the beach. Like they're just like working him out. I'm like, Elvis, can't you get off the field? And, and then and then they like they get him to stand up. And then he hobbles. Oh, I got to put my arms around you. And then after a few steps, he's kind of kind of walks off the field. And then like three minutes later, he's back out there. Like, I, I think that happened before this play where he got burned by Willie Galt. Like, he's, like, fucking, like, just taking his own sweet time because he might have tweaked his hammy. I just I, Everything about Elvis Patterson fascinates me, I'm just going to say. It's reminiscent of uh, Carlos Santana in the World Series. Remember, he got hurt, and he laid in the grass for, like, 15 minutes. <laughs> That's right. And then he got up, and he was fine. Well, of course, he had rested. <laughs> It's, it's like, how long can he lay there? Can he lay there for all day? Elvis we have milked to wait until tomorrow when Carlos is going to get up and we can resume the game. And Elvis did have to leave the field uh, for a play because well, for, they did have his burn burns treated. Yeah, yeah. Bum, right. Bum. right. So, yeah, Elvis Toast Patterson totally burned on this uh, underthrow by Mike Tomczak that Galt readjusted to and caught. So, right. cheers. Here's up 24-7 all of a sudden. And more than that, Olympic class no. hurdler. That's not right, right is it? Olympic class uh, hurdler. He was well, Ronaldo Nehemiah the hurdler. Yeah. Well, and the other thing he said that he's a, he's adopted finesse. Like, no, finesse is the one thing yeah, he's always he had, had as a football player. He would have had to have adopted some grit, not finesse. Right. Then it's not a knock. I think I do think I used to sometimes be hard on Willie in retrospect that his contributions are are appreciated. But yeah, you know I don't well, want to say soft. You can, you can see my stuff. cursor, so I can I can circle stuff. So here's uh, I don't know if you know this. Is that rookie quarterback That's, out of Michigan, uh, Jim Harbaugh? First round rookie quarterback out of Michigan, Jim Harbaugh. And right next behind him, what do we got here? We got it. Oh, it's a towel again. Putting a towel. A towel That's again. True. Trenton Gill's like I just I watched the '87 Bears Giants. I thought I could bring a towel out. Five years of a year ago. Mike Tomzak in seven starts last year and a couple of mop up rolls. As Butler yep. kicks the extra point. Right. Tomzak had like an undefeated record touchdowns. coming into this game. Of course two. he did. He's got two now in the last few minutes. Okay. And it's I just have to like talk about how crazy it is. Tomzak had like a six and zero record. And I saw this. It was it was six and zero record coming into this game. Two touchdowns. Ten interceptions. 
It might have been more now that I think about it. God, I got to look that up now. They said it in the broadcast, or they showed it. And the other thing was, I mentioned earlier, he was 9 of 21 in the first day. He was terrible. The third quarter in this game is like the the Mike. It's like the Ryan Sandberg game for Mike Thompson. He was incredible. He made like some really good pass. I mean, the Ron Moore actually both touchdown Whoa. passes were unimpressive, but he did actually like move the ball. And it's like I, I think for, you and I, you still haven't really watched this game since like it first aired, and I did. And a lot of a lot of things I forgot. I think a lot of us generally remember like it was like this exciting game. It was like a weird, unexpected Mike Tomzak game. And when I was watching it in the first half, I'm like, how is this the Mike Tomzak game? He's fucking terrible. He's nine of twenty. The third quarter, he was I think he was eight of eight. At one point, he was nine nine consecutive passes. He was like nine of nine and. Uh, we saw two big touchdowns, so he racked up the yards. So at the end of the game, I can just tell it now because I already alluded it to her when alluded it to it earlier when it said that Jim McMahon on the road on a Monday night game would finally have a three hundred yard game himself. But Tom Zach finished with two hundred ninety two yards in this game. It's just nuts, just a nuts stat line. Even with the he had two interceptions, one was horrible. Um, but it just boils down to basically the third quarter. He had like this ridiculous third quarter that made his numbers look good, and it probably is the reason why he was able to quarterback for Pittsburgh as late as 1995 is feeding off that third quarter he, for all those years. He started five games for the Steelers in 1999. Jesus Christ, I undersold it. 96 was the year he went, to, he went 10 and 5 that went to playoffs. Um, in wow. 86, he, was seven exactly. and, he started seven games. The Bears were 7-0. and oh. Two touchdowns to 10 interceptions. In this year, 1987, he starts six games. He goes four and two. He throws five touchdowns to ten interceptions. So at one point in his career, he was 11 and two, and he'd thrown seven touchdowns and 20 interceptions. Very nearly a three to one interception to touchdown ratio. 88. 88, he got it all together. Um, Five starts, four and one, six touchdowns. Seven touchdowns, six interceptions. Finally, three oh, touchdowns, interceptions. He was on the right side of it. Yeah, you know, it's amazing that these the team was so built on defense and then running, and then they required a, a basically a halfway decent upright operational quarterback. With the Bears and for his career, even without that, he was twenty-one and ten. He threw thirty-three touchdowns and forty-seven interceptions. You remember the stat quarterback wins? How you could think he might be able to use that? Oh, yeah, they, used, they would put it up, and then for a long time, even after he was gone, they would put like the all the quarterback all time quarterback records, you know, win loss records, and he would always be way up there. It's like, yeah, but he wow. didn't do shit. You want to talk about someone just riding the wave of just an immense force again, a historic defense, and like again, the fact that Mike Tomczak had that record is proof that. You plug anybody in a quarterback, and you're going to be competitive. If you only had a really good quarterback, then we have talking a different tale. So it's 24-7 in the third. This one's over. You don't have to worry about it. There's nothing the Giants can do. Giants can't move the ball on offense at all. Plus, no, no, no two-point conversion. But here we go. Now further action in the third quarter. Again, the Bears have the ball at the Giants 45. Right. We can just assume that Phil Sims is taking at least one or two more, like, you know – Blows to the head. Tom's egg. Oh, whoa. He just blindly chucks it down the field. Oh, it's intercepted. Exactly. This is like Harbaugh 92. 
This is like look at Jim Colbert running it down. In the Super Bowl. Yeah, goddamn Jim Colbert. Terry Kennard runs it all the way back for a touchdown, and now, now the Giants have scored on special sudden, teams and on yeah. defense. And it's 24-14. Sure. Yeah, and the, and the announcers do point out, by the way, that at this point in the game, the Giants' offense. The defending Super Bowl champion Giants who have not scored a touchdown against the Bears on offense. Yeah, they've got seven, at least seven straight quarters. He comes in right in Mike Tomzak's face and forces a bad throw, Frank. You'll see it right here. LT finally does something against the Bears. Jumbo tried to hold it. Right? Couldn't yeah. Hold it. Yeah. But they just talked about how it's like the first time LT had done anything all night. Yeah, they kept him quiet, no doubt, dude. He's the reigning fucking MVP. And the Bears blocked the extra point. So there goes the Who blocks it? 24-13. Blocked by the other Super Bowl holdout. Yes, exactly. They show Hampton celebrating, so you think he did it. But it was Al Harris, good old number nine. Instead, instead, it was Ham, it was it was Hampton's fellow first round draft pick from 1979. God, this team was so loaded with talent. This defense, so loaded with talent, it's ridiculous. And he it's blocks so it. And Todd Bell almost uh, recovered it. Yeah, but yeah. There's nowhere for Todd to run. See, I swear, if you watch the full game, the fans let audibly laugh whenever Sean Landetta comes out of it. I swear, I'm not imagining that. So now we've got the uh, – we're in the fourth quarter now because the Giants are going the opposite direction. And the the whiffer, Sean Landetta is in to punt. The Giants are and on the – 65,000 fans are all laughing at him, making his sphincter tight. And um, the Giants here's what who haven't scored against the Bears now in seven consecutive quarters. And we already pointed that out, Dan. Their offense hasn't scored. On fourth down – Thanks, Al. The punt fielded by oh. McKinnon. Fun facts coming up. Frank sounds like he's ready. He's ready to go home, Frank. I remembered that he ran a punt back for a touchdown. I remember okay. it was a long one. I did not remember that it's that's one of the greatest punt returns in Bears history. It's a it ridiculous punt return. He, there are twice where three giants have him, and yes. he gets away he from spin, them. Both he times. spins around on that yeah. first one, sort of. He also he does a, a Hester right. He does that perfect cut up the middle after the first left right. So he does. He's going to get twenty five yards. So I don't either. So the, I, I talked earlier about yards, like right. Right. So they talk about do you get, do you get penalized for fielding for returning a punt inside the ten. Remember Johnny Bailey's 95-yard touchdown? No. He got hey, let the me, Bears fine. I, I watched this whole game. They did. The announcer, they're all ex-footballers, so they should mention it in spite of them being shitty announcers. Not Al, but, like, certainly Deardorff and Frank's old and addled. But they had the presence of mind to joke about, after the fact, about what do you think Ditka, you know, would say, you know, about him fielding a punt at the six. And they also point out, that it was it set a new bear record for the longest punt return at 94 yards, which go updated back to the 40s. They mentioned it, I can't remember, but I immediately thought Harlan of Hill. course of John. No, but I immediately thought of fucking Johnny Bailey. So yeah. poor old Dennis McKinnon's record only lasted for three seasons oh, because yeah. Johnny Bailey, with Mike Ditka's coach, 
then he it was a, I believe a 95 yarder yep, against the Chiefs 95. at the very end of the season in 1990. And because we're on the topic, I just want to be where anytime we'll cover a game like this, just want to give propers to Dennis McKinnon. I would not have guessed that Silky D was still on the 87 Bears. He was always the guy that if you're real, if you consider yourself a real football fan, you would identify him as a real wide receiver. No offense to Willie. Willie stretched the offense and his track skills help. But McKinnon was the guy that like ended the guy's career with a block. He was a guy that would go over the middle. He was a guy who fucking return punts. And this is not his only NFL return punt. There's another uh, uh, YouTube game from 83 in Lambeau, a crazy ass game um, where McKinnon ran back a punt. And it just it was nice to see that again. So many features of this '87 Bears team is still very much the '85 Bears. It's and in that time that we lived through it, we are very much of that mindset. So it's very rewarding to see McKinnon get a franchise record after all the hard work he'd put in for five or six years, and of course only to see that record get eliminated by one-year wonder Johnny Bailey three years later. But and at this point now it's thirty-one to seven. The Bears are like humiliating the goddamn Super Bowl champion. 13. 13, sorry. Yeah, they missed the extra point. I'm sorry. They um, so when did McKinnon get – when did he get hurt? Did he hurt in the preseason in 86? He didn't play at all in 86. They referenced that he was coming back from injury. He didn't play in 86. It must have been early in the season because, you know, yeah. He didn't get hurt in the Super Bowl. Right? He played in the Super Bowl. Right? Yeah, he caught two touchdowns yeah. against the Giants yeah, he, in the playoff. Game. No, he, yeah, he was he played, in the, he played in the Super Bowl, but then he didn't play at all in 86. At all, and in '87 was kind of like his still like his rehab year, because he didn't start a single game. But then he started 15 of the 16 games in '88, and actually had his best year as a Bear. He Jesus, caught, he like caught, a Scott Slut. He caught 45 Sorry. passes for 704 yards, averaged 15 yards a catch, and three touchdowns. And before that, for the Bears, his career high had been 31 catches in '85. Nuts! Wow. He played '89 with the Bears, that. and he played uh, nine games for the Cowboys in '90, and then his career was over. Okay. He only played seven well, years. Tip of the hat to Silky D then. I I would not have guessed that. It's shame on me because I always try to appreciate him for just being an all-around football player at a, at a wide receiver position, which he really was. So the fans in the stands are going wild with ecstasy. Uh, the fans are lubed. I mean, it's a, Mike, it's a Nike. They've been tailgating. It's warm weather. The wide receiver and punt returner. Bill Parcells pulling his pants up. Goes 93 yards. Oh, 93. No, they credited him. They, 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 they corrected it. I think he bought it. They corrected it. They said later it's 94. So the first time, three guys almost have him, including Zeke Mowat. He gets out. Actually, that was the second time. The first time, three guys converged before he even gets free. Then another three guys. Yeah. And then I was surprised considering that, you know, he was not he was fast but not with like the fastest guy. No. Gold was the fast guy. He was the he blew past the Giants. He, he did. Got. He did. There was some little like halfback safety that was like had a line on him and he outran him. Yeah, because Reggie Phillips was gonna go block that guy. And then didn't need to. Because um Right. Dennis was already gone. Yeah, he was clear. He fucking turned on turned on the Jets. So now we have the the Giants have the ball. They finally made it into Bear territory. Probably just a bunch of penalties. Um, <laughs> I can't remember now. So they have the, they have the ball at the Bear. Uh, I, I mean, again, kudos to Sims for just fucking still being out there. O.J. Anderson he's got, is he, in at halfback. So another guy out there, by the way, real quick. I don't think it comes up in this editor version. Tony Galbraith. 
who I remember as like the erstwhile sort of companion to Archie Manning, Peyton, and uh, Cooper's dad of the Saints, like good players on shitty and a shitty Saints team that you know. And they bring up the fact, by the way, that the Saints, which would have been Jim Moore's first game, I think, um, won the day before, and that they even tell us, even it's week one, that the Saints have never had a winning season. I think '87 they would. Um, but anyway, Tony Galbraith was the long-suffering running back uh, for the Saints, and he's in this game. I think he may have played the Super Bowl for the Giants too. What's interesting is that Galbraith was a prolific uh, receiver of passes out of the backfield, as you know Walter Payton was too. So what's interesting is that in this game they bring it up. I don't know if you'll see it in this excise version, but they bring up that Payton has 106 touchdowns, which tied him for Jim Brown, 106 rushing. He was like four or five behind Brown combined touchdowns, rushing, receiving, and that he was like four receptions behind Tony Galbraith, who at this moment, who is now like the oldest running back in the NFL and just getting, and he gets some plays in this game uh, for running uh, receptions by running backs all time. I'm pretty sure that it had to be close because this is Peyton's last season. So it kind of pissed me off if Tony Galbraith and, and I, I feel like Roger Craig probably passed them both anyway a few years later. But just pointing that out that I don't know who, who remembers Tony Galbraith, but he is in this game and he does catch a few couple passes. And he's one of the last milestones that Peyton is still trying to sort of secure as he rides off into the sunset. Enough of that. Um, we could probably look that up, actually, right? Because, I mean – Galbraith was like borderline useless, although he got he gets in this, and he's older than Peyton. You know, like Peyton's already a freak of nature, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's funny we've looked this up before. So the Johnny Morris is the all-time leader in receiving yards for the Bears, but Peyton but is still the all-time leader. Peyton in receptions. is the all-time leader in receptions, and second is Matt Forte. Yeah, and he's only five behind. Had he, he played his last year with the Jets, had he played his last year with the Bears, he would be the all-time leading in, leader in receptions for the Bears. So he finished with more than Peyton in his career, but less as a Bear. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And how many receptions did he have? Well, Peyton had four ninety-two, and Forte had four eighty-seven. Perfect. You know how many Tony Galbraith finished with? He actually had twenty. This was his final season, eighty-seven. Galbraith's career began in 76, but he may have still been young, older than Peyton because, as we pointed out, Peyton was a young rookie in 75. So, yeah, I mean, Galbraith was 22 and 76, almost identical age, and had a nice career, had uh, no 1,000-yard seasons because the Saints sucked, but he caught 26 passes out of the backfield for the 87 Giants and finished with 490, oh, two behind sweetness, yeah, sweetness pass. and never played again. So um, I can rest easy now. Walter caught his 492 in 13 seasons. Forte caught 487 in eight. Of course, he caught 100 so, one year for the Bears. So I, it's probably safe to – Forte did? Yeah. Fuck. It's nuts. In March's offense? Or somebody – or Okay. Mark Tresson. Wait. So wait. He caught 100 – in 2014, he caught 102 passes for 808 yards. So there's no way that Peyton is still the all-time leading um, uh, running back, leader in receptions for running back. No, in I'm fact, sure would guess several he's... guys passed them off. Yeah, Roger Craig may have himself because Craig was emerging as like this weird. Okay, well I'm glad I'm glad we set that straight. 
at least Tony Galbraith did not retire as the all-time leading uh, all-time leader in receptions for running backs or out of the running back position. The funny thing is, too, when they mention it in this game, because in the first quarter, Galbraith catches a backwards lateral, and then they go on about how he's going to pass Peyton, and then eventually uh, Frank has to bring up the fact that that play we just saw that prompted this discussion uh, does not count count towards the uh, receptions. Let's see if we can actually from scrimmage. A quick look here at the all-time reception leaders. Let's see where we get our first running back. Uh, Let's see. This is exciting for the listeners. Antonio Gates, Derek Mason, Art Monk. If you guys can find a better way. The all-time leader is, I mean, for, for running backs is Marshall Falk. 767. Like 200, almost 300 more than Walter had. 270. Makes me makes me believe that Forte got a lot of those yards under Martz, and I'm just going to lazily assume that that was the, the common thread. Marshall Falk. Wow. I believe it. Yeah, the game's evolved. So Peyton got passed by, but Peyton did retire as the all-time leader. Two ahead of Tony Galbraith, 1987 Giant. Let's see. Walter is... Yeah, there's Tony Galbraith, 490. Walter, I don't know what he reti- I don't know where he is with running backs because I can't sort by. Uh, but uh, right, but overall, he's a, overall all time. He has a hundred, 177th most receptions in NFL history. Okay, he's ahead of guys like Tony Galbraith, Drew Pearson, Don Hudson. Wow, up your wow. fans, Take Anthony Carter. Hudson. I like the Don Hudson. Uh, AC Adam Thielen. Anthony Carter was in the He's just like behind. He, oh, he, he should have stuck around for one more game. He's three behind Ahmad Rashad. Ooh, Bobby Moore still couldn't do it. All right. Allen Robinson has him. more career catches than uh, Walter Payton. Of course, he's a wide receiver, yeah. and he's supposed to catch lots, and he, he hasn't lately. Yeah. All right. All right. So, But anyway, so the Giants have the ball on the, uh, on the Bears 33, it looks like. And Otis Anderson was prompted by Tony Galbraith. The Giants were pretty good about recycling uh, running backs from all other teams because Otis Anderson was the longtime Cardinal. Well, and I would guess part yeah, of the yeah. reason Otis is in now is uh, they probably got tired of watching little Joe Morris try to block Wilbur and Otis. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally true. The Giants have to go for it on fourth and six. Oh, fourth and six. The game with 10 minutes to play. Oh, oh, good for you, Phil. Mark Bavaro, wide open. Notre Dame on Notre Dame crime. Dave yeah. Dorsen shows him out of bounds at the three. Giants also had Eric Dorsey on the defensive line. Now, I noticed this on when I watched this the first time. They're going to show a replay here. And Otis blitzes. And he does get picked up by one of the running backs. And Dan circles the wrong guy. He circles Singletary. Right. Singletary is, yeah, I'm sure he's supposed to have Mark Bavaro. And he just stands in the middle of the field and lets him go. Whoops. He does. That's right. Revoking his Hall of Fame uh, membership for that one. Singletary had like Singletary, I think, had like a, a great start to his career, like a free peak, but he kind of started. Now he might have been starting to start falling here. So now it's like first and goal. They're probably at the five, and uh, mm-hmm. Reggie Phillips is about to have quite a sequence here. You mean Super Bowl hero Reggie Phillips? So Phil drops back. There's a guy over the middle. That's incomplete. No big deal. That's Fessy Jackson. No, next play here. 
throw. Right off Reggie's hands in the end zone. Oh. Like, oh, I could have had a catch. Did you see who that pass was intended for? It was intended for Stacey Robinson. Future NIU uh, quarterback. Yeah, yeah, he must have had eligibility. 308 yards against uh, Fresno State when Trent Dilfer. Played wide receiver for the Giants and then went back to Northern to play quarterback. And then years after that, got busted for stealing a stereo in his hometown of uh, Danville. Anyway. So here's Phil now again. Manuel gets taken down. Oh, Oh. Oh, there's right off Reggie's hands again. Reggie's like his, not, Reggie dropped right. interceptions in the end zone. But Reggie's like, it's not the Super Bowl. I'm That's not right. going to. So I already, I already Phillips, scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. He, he's got a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Walter Payton did not score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Reggie Phillips did. The New York Giants have the football. At Again, 13. where are they we, from? We get random cheerleaders, so we don't know where they're right. from. Exactly. It's, uh, it's quite the hair they all got in 1987. Yeah, those are not high school cheerleaders, I don't think, no. either. That's going to be a college. Maybe they're the Eastern and Illinois Parcells. University like, cheerleaders. Like, right, like faculty? I don't I, – you know, I didn't, we didn't despise Bill Parcells like Bill Wallace, but I'm enjoying this now. Yeah. Down, Again, we, we didn't really cross paths with the Giants. Oh, there it is. Stacy catches the touchdown. The right first over Vesti. The first Giants so, touchdown against the Bears since, like, the Ford administration. Oh, we got some British narration. Yeah, they're just going to something summarize. They ran out of time. Right. In case you don't know, they call it football. Yeah, they show a sack, one of the eight sacks they had on Phil Sims that day. There are some violent ones. If you want some violence, kids, look at Kevin Butler field goal to round up the score. And there is a victorious Mike Tomzak. Yes, it's incredible. It was all downhill from the, although he managed to milk it for another 12 years. Incredibly. I can't believe Tom Zach made it to 99. I just, I do. It was, so like I said, I enjoyed it when I watched the whole two, the whole two and a half hours of that thing and realized that the beers were still in that sweet spot. Even at the time, it wasn't like we were disillusioned. Like, oh, we're convincing ourselves. They were fucking good. Um, the strike hit a few years late, a few weeks later, and a lot of things started to happen, but there Nobody in their right mind would have been writing off that Bears team. Nobody knew anything then that would have indicated that they knew what they're talking about if they said the Bears weren't. They were very much one of the very best teams in the league, and they had been for a few years. So the Sports Illustrated article the next week was titled Grin and Barrett Giants by Paul Zimmerman, Dr. Z. It starts out, maybe next time it will be different. Maybe next time the New York Giants will have figured out the Chicago Bears' wildly effective blitzing scheme, which knocked the Giants quarterback Phil Simms into dreamland, destroyed their passing game, and eliminated the running attack from their game plan. The final score of what was billed as Super Bowl 21 and a half, the September Classic, or simply the greatest Monday night matchup in history, was 34 to 19, but it was misleading. The Giants' defense scored a touchdown, special teams got another off a black punt. Their offense finally scored. Probably got on the board in the fourth quarter when the game was all but lost. Yep. Um, yeah, so looking through this stuff there, um, they, he writes about the weirdest stuff. Like, well, Dr. G. They issued 300, the Bears issued 750 press credentials for the game, turned down 350 more. The Sun Times. Do you think, did Pat Benkowski get in? Do you think? Of course he did. Yeah. He got press credential number one. Yeah. Him on the ground. It's 1987. 
Uh, the Sun Times Sunday Supplement ran 76 pages on the Bears. Oh, sure. In I addition to the paper's regular sports section. Oh, the Sunday papers were huge in the Bears' heyday, believe me. It's going to be a game that you'll say when you're 50 or 60 years old, hey, I played in one of the biggest games in NFL history, said Chicago quarterback Mike Tomczak. Of course he was. the greatest. It's the game that pretty much gives him his pension. He was incredible for one quarter. I mean, when I rewatched it, I was like, I mean, he wasn't even that incredible. He's just productive and fortunate. And the uh, fact that he was their starting quarterback is such an indictment. Dan Hampton's quote, Phil Sims is a great quarterback, but put enough pressure on, and they all look like Arch Schleister. Come Ooh, on, Dan. What, what, a, what a shot. Going with a cheap shot. What, a, what a low blow. <laughs> uh, you know, at this point, Hampton's kind of on the other side of the hill. I think a lot of the defense is still – Peaks that Dent's at his peak, Wilbur's at his peak, Otis is still at his peak. Singletary had a shorter peak, I think. He came on strong as a rookie, and then uh, Hampton. Now uh, McMichael is at his peak for sure. I continuously think I over I have underrated McMichael through the years, but yeah, just. So you're talking about how you could see on the full on the full video Otis jawing at Phil Sims. So at one point, uh, he delivers one of the many, like, not late hits, but just rough hits that probably would be flagged today. Um, and then, But at another point in the game, he hits him again. But another one, Sims, like, throws an interception, back, or interception, incomplete pass, backing out of the, like, uh, in the end zone. And Otis, like, starts to, like, talk shit. And then Sims just comes right back and does this, which, you know, he, like, show it. The announcers had fun with it, and I kind of admit that, like, at least, you know, he was kind of, like, just saying, like, yeah, fuck you, whatever, you're going to kick my ass, I'm going to pretend I'm as crazy as you are, or something. I don't know, even know what it was, but, I, you know, it kind of endeared me to Sims. You know? well, Otis got asked he was what, he, ask. what he said to Phil, and he said, I told him, when we were at the Pro Bowl, your son took my kid's truck. You give it back. Oh! He's trying to get a toy truck returned. Imagine bringing that up after you like drop a guy in his head in the game. Wow, that's great. So, um, let's take a look here. Uh, the Bears only had three more first downs than the Giants. They, only had, they had seventeen. Giants had fourteen. Of course, when you score on a couple of long plays and a return yep. punt for a touchdown. You don't have, don't need as many first downs. Yeah, kind of the odd, it's it's an odd game statistically because Tom Zach ended up with the ridiculous numbers that probably like arguably the best line of his career, even with the intercept the two interceptions. Giants two quarterbacks were sacked nine times. The Bears quarterbacks were not sacked. So that's another point about this game is that I've been talking about the defense and the defense and how much the you know, how much this era that was like that was hoisted up by the defense. But even the offense was exceptional in the Super Bowl they were. Um, when they had a healthy quarterback, they had functioning receivers. But the offensive fucking line in this game is abs it is a goddamn clinic. They dominate I mean some of the greatest play I mean, the the announcers are talking up Chip Banks a lot, like he's gonna be right behind LT, and that's not true. In fact, Wilbur Marshall was a better player than Chip Banks, uh, and I think that was proven. But the Giants were goddamn good, obviously. Again, this is a clash of the Titans. 
Uh, and they were starting a second-year player on the line, Eric Dorsey, who proved they had a decent career, an old Notre Namer, but they still had Leonard Marshall, uh, Jim Burt, you know, they fucking knocked out Joe May. He, you know, the Giants did things to the 49ers that, like, the Bears did to everybody but the 49ers. They fucked it. They, they would fuck them up. But the, they had great defensive players, and they were silenced. And so I think a thing that – needs to get mentioned is that that line with now, because at this point Thayer has been a, a second year full-time. It has been, it has been steady, healthy, Hilgenberg, Bortz, Thayer, Van Horn, Covert, and Covert was the guy tasked with LT. Granted, they didn't face each other a lot, but in the playoff game in 85 and in this game, uh, almost on that alone, if Lawrence Taylor is as great of a player as everyone says he is, and I think he might be revolutionary and, and trends, you know, shattering the mold, you could almost make the case for Jimbo Culver just based on these games because you hardly hear LT. I think it was a big part of why he got inducted in the Hall of Fame. He did get inducted, right? Dan Pompey's mission did eventually yeah. pay off. Okay. Yeah, and I guess it probably should. He got his career was cut short by injury, blocked from Marino. He was a yeah, he was so – he was great. He was just a great ta- – he's such an important position, right tackle. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, left tackle. Left tackle. Or wherever the fuck LT was. Yeah. Well, and if we you never- could if, – if, if you could have one guy who could <clears throat> who could block LT by himself at least most of the time, then everybody else could – I mean, part of, the, part of the reason the Giants' defense would feast on teams is they're putting two and three guys on LT – and if you well, didn't have what, to do that, the other players yeah. weren't nearly as good when they were actually getting blocked. Well, what made the Bears uh, so great was that Dan Hampton would take on those double teams, which was, you know, accentuated Singletary's, you know, advantages and Richard Dent's. And, like, um, and to not have to double team LT, just that in and of its, and still neutralize them, right? To like, it could be one thing to choose not to double team him and then live with uh you know live with the the expected law you've already calculated you know whatever damage he's going to do but fucking one guy neutralized that motherfucker so cheers to jimbo so phil sims was 15 of 28 for 181 yards and a touchdown that bullshit fourth down one to stacy robinson right mike tomzak 20 of 34 for 292 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions just no even in its time just an insane night like i said bears quarterbacks never approach 300 yards we always hope you met mcmahon what he did at once but there was here comes the undrafted local cal city mike tomzak in his eighth nfl start against the defending nfl super bowl champion who had a defense that like we said was pretty damn good Put up those numbers. Walter carried 18 times for 42 yards. It was sad. Three passes for 12. Yeah. Um, Neil Anderson ran 13 times for 62 yards and caught six passes for 81 yards, including a 47-yard reception early in the game. Neil carried on that tradition from Walter about just being a really good handsy uh, halfback out of the backfield, uh, catching passes. Um, That was a nice – not exactly Brett Favre – Aaron Rodgers, but pretty nice run for running backs there, I guess, for us. Kind of like how we are with Cubs first baseman. But. Well, yeah, from 1975 until 1993, they had. Yeah, and then and then Forte is not that long. It's only a 15-year break, and then we get another guy that's really up there. What it, so. What about uh, Rashawn Salam and Curtis Enos? <laughs> well, and I didn't want to what say this. Tim Worley? It seems so disrespectful, but like a couple times I'm watching Peyton this game thinking, oh my God, it's like shades of the 1994 Lewis Tillman. 
which feels so wrong to even think, let alone say a lot on a podcast. Yeah, Neil would only play uh, eight years. Yeah, his peak was what, 89, 90, 91, or 90, 91, 92? There's three 1,000-yard seasons. 88 to 90. Well, that's it. Yeah, started started the year after Walter retired. And the, the play I always remember him for wasn't even uh, – I mean, he, he – uh, well, I remember a few things I remember about Neil Anderson. Number one, he he wore his helmet like like too high, and he was like looking through the bottom of his face mask all the time. Oh yeah, and we had I a guy on, we had a guy on our team in high school who wore his helmet the same way. When I was joked about you know you're gonna get hit in the chin and just break it. Right. Um, the Bears had I th- I'm pretty sure it was against Tampa, Harbaugh probably threw an interception. And deep in, like, oh, Bears were going in for a touchdown. Harbaugh throws an interception. Guy from guy from the Bucks takes off up the left sidelines. And Neil, who had run like an out and was in the opposite corner of the end zone, ran uh-huh. on a diagonal all the way down the field the and tackled him and kept him from scoring a touchdown. It was just amazing uh-huh. just to see him. Like, he's not even in the picture. You're watching the guy run down the sidelines, and all of a sudden you see Neil, like, show up in the corner of your TV at an angle. And he just glides across the field and tackles the guy before he can score a touchdown. He must have run like considering he also ran a route. He ran over 100 yards probably on the play and sure. ran the guy down. Yeah, he always seemed like faster than Walter ever was. Um, you know, I mean, it's unfair. It's one of those things too. It's probably a little unfair. He, he had some pressure coming after. But even, even I do remember in well, he had some pressure replacing the Right, the greatest, the greatest player of all time. time. There's a but little like, I, but like there was like some tension. Like it was a it was a sensitive situation, you know. Like well, not unlike when Sean Dunstan was trying to be shortstop and Larry. Yeah, not to, that's the same. No, that's a good. I'm not going to compare that's Walter Payne and Larry Boa. Yeah, you know, Walter Payne, Larry Boa, Sean Dunstan, Neil Anderson. That's a perfect comparison. No, but like if Payton would not be a dick, even though Payton was always a little upset about the Super Bowl and like it was probably beneath him to like let people know how upset he was uh he it was not like a thing like he knew he was done but like it had to be a little bit of a tough thing for neil you know like shit like it's kind of like you know uh just kind of walking on eggshells like i don't know what to do like Tate was so iconic and given what we know now and it, it wasn't that much different back then you don't you don't replace your running back while you still have him but what were they gonna do he was a freak of nature like, but how like you when just, Walter like, retires, the next year you go out and you get your running back. You don't need. You're right. They didn't need to groom Neil for two years behind Walter. They wasted two years of Neil's career, and they, you know, they, they were they created an uncomfortable situation for them. Well, and and like Peyton was still productive in '86. He only '87 yeah, was the statistical drop off. Yeah, and part of that I'm sure doesn't help when you're you know in your final year and you end up having to take a month off because there's a strike. There's that too, and Maybe you're already like your fullback is gone because your head coach has decided he's just going to play both running backs at the same time, and you're going to play yeah, fullback sometimes, and because you I, can. I mean, that was the reason they could do it. I mean, Walter, he could have been the greatest fullback of all time if he wanted. He, there's nothing he loved better than just lighting dudes up trying to blitz this quarterback, and and it happens. It does happen in this game as much as I point out that like, and again, like it's sad, but it's not like Willie Mays like in the seventy whatever 73 world series said i mean he's he's contributing he's playing fucking football but there is a point in the fourth quarter when the bears have the game in hand peyton they gave peyton a lot of yards at the end of this game by the way if you watch the full version he actually gets a lot of action because i think 
you know, Ditka's trying to like get him, you know, just rack up his yards, right? But there's one point where they're trying to wind the clock down, and Peyton does not go out of bounds only because, but he, you know, you don't want to go out of bounds. And Anderson knew that because on one play, Anderson kind of like rounded the outside of end and then kind of went down. But Peyton ran wide and then in vintage, like peak Peyton just went upfield. I forget the uh, giant defender. There are two guys that were on him, but he just rammed into the guy, you know, and this is like 35 year old Walter Peyton at the you know end of his career. That was like, he did not want to go out of bounds. Unfortunately, he'd gotten too close to the sideline where he got pushed, but he not before delivering an absolute fucking hit and like a kind of a, a helmet and also just a stiff arm to a giant's defender. Um, and the guy paid, you can see, you know, he didn't get hurt, but he definitely felt the, the blow. So. Well, it's funny. So if you count you know, the, the fact that the strike interrupted his last season, his last four full seasons in the NFL, he rushed for 1,421 yards, 1,684 yards, 1,551 yards, and 1,333 yards. Whoa. That's what he ran That's... for in 86. And wow. even in, in – so his carries went way down. He carried the ball less than half right. as many times. Because they had for, a real offense. And he ran for 533 yards in 87, which is only – it's his lowest average he had since 80, 81. He only averaged 3.6 yards. That was a um, – Strike oh, – no, not, not strike. No, that sorry. wasn't a strike season. That was a that – the so Bears' offensive line is uh, – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awful. yeah. Pay, that was break, break four tackles to get to the line of scrimmage and then see what you can do with the rest of it, Walter. Um, yeah, for, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's actually a doubt. That's actually a nadir in the Bears franchise. Yeah, because that's what gets the that's what gets the astronaut fired, and Ditka comes in, and they drafted Van Horn in '81. He wasn't ready, but the help was on the way, and it was done. We've talked about it before. It was nice to see Peyton get all those yards in '80, like you said, fifteen hundred and eighty. It's ridiculous. That's a lot of yards, and the guy's like thirty-three, and it always felt like less painful. Like he got like in the 77, he was the MVP with like 1800 yards, yep. but he had, he had taken a beating granted he was younger and he was, you know, eight years older in 85, but like, it was like, he got to sort of coat, not coast. Cause he would never, he was too proud. He would always deliver hits himself, but he, it just seemed like he, he would get to 1500 yards a lot easier in 85 than he would have in 77. In 85, he finished second in the MVP balloting. Behind who won the MVP in '85? Marcus Allen. Wait, oh, because it's an NFL thing. That's nuts. I didn't know that. Yeah, Marcus Allen ran. For, well, Walter had 1,551 yards. Marcus ran for 1,759. Yeah, but for Walter the was ten fucking years older than <laughs> Marcus Allen. Finished third in '83. He finished third in MVP voting. Let's see. Okay. Yeah, Dan Marino. God, was Marino really the MVP? I mean, did he have that good a year in '84? He was a rookie. He this was is a rookie all. This is all he did. He only threw for five thousand eighty-four yards and forty-eight touchdowns. Is that in '83 I mean, or '84? '84. You're talking about. Yeah. 84. So Peyton was third in '84 and uh, in second. In he finished third behind the Eric Dickerson. Okay, so how about this? Eric Dickerson ran for two thousand one hundred and five yards and was an MVP because Dan Marino threw for five thousand yards and forty-eight touchdowns, and then Walter. Forgot. Walter ran for 1,684 yards to finish third. And they were the only three guys dude, who got MVP votes. Dude, that's nuts that that all happened in the same season that Marino set the passing mark the same year that – the passing touchdown mark the same year that Dickerson set the rushing mark. Like, I always knew those two things happened and never quite realized 
I, I never realized it happened the same year. Well, I mean, we had to have because we lived through it. Well, but yeah, I but I mean, really... looking back, it's those. They seem to exist on their own. Like right, was, it seems cra- one guy had one year, another enough. guy had another. We didn't realize they were the same year. And there's like a different parts of of an offense. So then Dickerson know. probably was never MVP. I would guess if he didn't win it that year, I can't imagine he ever won it. Nope, no. MVP is hard because a it's the entire NFL, yeah. and then b it's like football is so weird. Cool. Like I said, if you're a, if you're a defensive player, unless you're Lawrence Taylor or Allen Page, it's kind of hard to be an MVP. It's very football, or I'm sorry, it's very offensive biased. Dickerson finished second in the MVP voting three times. Wow. In 83, he finished behind Joe Theismann. Joe Theismann won an MVP. But so did Mark Mosley. So both yeah. Redskins MVPs are ridiculous. And then he well, finished, I mean, then he finished behind Marino. And then in 86, he finished behind, oh, Lawrence Taylor. Only the second but, defensive player ever to win MVP. And, and to this day, still the only second. I'd say Dickerson okay. got screwed twice. He did. Just circumstance. It's not like he got. Well, I mean, sir, I mean, I got no problem with LT. Being, LT was a freak. I mean, you know, jokes aside about not being really a linebacker, the guy was a freak in nature. He's a great player. He, re- he revolutionized the position, you know. But, uh, but losing out to Thaisman won the MVP in '83. That's a sentimental vote, and and maybe Peyton getting all those votes in '85 was sentimental, but at least Peyton still racked up 1,500 yards. Thiesman '83 was like two years from getting his ankle snapped, and he was an old guy anyway. It's like his old end of his career, you know. And Mosley, man, what's with the? It had to be like some George Well Beltway media shit. Getting Mark Mosley yeah. and Joe Thiesman the back Mosley to back. It's ridiculous. It's almost like it was a a protest vote because of the strike. A strike. Because like, that was a strike short year. Kicker. So that was a strike short year, and 87 was a strike short year. If you are a youngster, we know we have a couple that might listen, want some context. How did the Bears, who went 15-1 and and 14-2, and and then beat the shit out of the team that also went 14-2 and and won it all the year before, how did they, like, not do anything? And, you know, the strike happened, and, I mean, there's no answer, like, no easy answer for it, but I, I do like to point out that, it wasn't long after that Giants game that we just broke down that the bloom kind of started to come off the road. McMahon couldn't stay healthy, but he, he was there. I mean, things still lined up. The Bears hosted a playoff game at home and and had the road pay for a playoff game uh, for the championship game. Could they beat the Redskins? And they had McMahon. But to get to that point, they had the strike. The Bears won a couple games. You know, did get kind of. A lot of people claim that he alienated the players, and which is funny because Ditka was such a management suck up. But that's the same guy that sounded like a socialist when, as a player, he's ripping George Hallis for throwing around nickels like manhole covers. And you know, Ditka was getting full of himself. We saw it in this game, and he he was enjoying it. And at that point, it seemed well deserved. But it seems in pretty short order, Ditka really kind of. I feel, I feel, just as a personality and as a coach, just kind of got a little full of himself because I do remember thinking that or reading at the time that like play, how how Ditka so quickly kind of disrespected the players that had uh, had been uh, striking because the Bears happened to win their first two strike games, which were absurd and ridiculous, and happened a couple weeks after this Giants game. They lost one with Sean Payton at quarterback, but like Ditka was so obviously on ownership side as a coach forgetting his player bona fides and I do remember like sort of hearing where some players were a little bit miffed about how yeah. 
quickly he could change his colors. And not that that should have any effect on how they play. That team did have a home game in the playoffs. They did go to the title game the next year. I think you know maybe I should examine it more. Maybe they were completely dominant for longer than I remember. But well, this team, uh, the the '87 team, should have gone to the Super Bowl. They should have gone back. They lost to the Redskins on the we figured this out on the only punt return for a touchdown of Daryl Green's career. But it shouldn't have come down to that. No, either, but that's though, what I'm saying. Right? I mean, even with that, they only scored 17 points in the freaking game. Because and we talked about it before. Because the day before, the Vikings with Anthony Carter and and uh, went and stunned the you know the perennial you know favorite 49ers, right. which it paved the way the, for the Bears. It was if they could only beat, do, the beat the Redskins, Redskins they you're going to beat the Vikings. Vikings. Yeah, and to yeah. just beat them again, and you go to the Super Bowl in '87, and then you'd beat the shit out of the Broncos again. The so, other thing about yeah. it was. Um, this is another good example of how bare weather is bullshit. That Redskins game was ridiculously cold. It was That's colder than the 88 championship. Wind chill of 20 cold. below zero was four degrees at kickoff. Yeah. And the Bears uh, offense played like shit. I think everybody, and whenever all, they think of bare weather, they always think of the two games, you know, the back to back years. The Giants and Rams. It's like, well, they were going to win those. No. They could have played those on the sun. They would have right. won those games. Right. Right. And then back to back years, they get sent home. One of the freezing cold game. They're both cold. Pustari and I talked about it yesterday. Bear weather is bullshit anyway because what do bears do in the winter? They right. go to a cave and they hibernate. They find right. a roof and they get under it. So the, the last time. So the dome the in la- Arlington Heights will literally be bear weather. I just hope the bears stay awake. The last time bear weather was literally a thing would be like like 1938 when all the teams were company teams and they played locally and teams well, from the Midwest had, had, might not have had an advantage because their players were all from the Midwest. Shouldn't the sneakers game have been bear weather? Is it, it was, yeah. And they lost that game. Yeah, they got crushed. They had to play one in the manure in Chicago Stadium and they won that one, right? Right. You so think that they won a championship playing in a dome. They won it in because yeah. Chicago Stadium was right. basically a dome. They've already won. Right. They've they won their only Super Bowl in a dome. You should certainly want them to have a roof because clearly their last two it's ch- the key. Right. <laughs> right. You're right. Yeah, I. Uh, it's never made so much sense to me before tonight. But that's I mean, we talked about uh, the bear weather got buried forever when the Niners. Of course, and just beat the shit out. Well, it, but you're right though. It it is. Uh, instructed to point out, even though Washington's not from like the wine and cheese part of the West Coast, but uh, the year before, they're in the, the mid Atlantic. It ain't exactly. It's their their winter yeah. kind of mild. That snow melts right away. Yep. Uh, they came in, and that was that. That's when the so this is how the season ends. Let's wrap up with this. The season begins euphoric. Like we're going to be right back in the Super Bowl. We've lost three games since '83. Uh, it's 80 or, or three games since 84. It's 1987. And of course they would, they would only lose four games, you know, in the 87 season, but they would get the home game. And then if they would just win it, they'd get another home game. It was so set up. And, and that's really where the disappointment, like it was not never really the same after that game. Everyone talks about the 49ers game, but I kind of feel like 80, you're right. I didn't even think about it before tonight, but the 87 season should have been, uh, it was it was kind of tailor made for them because the Giants had their year the year before. The one thing I will say is that the Bears in '85 were one of the most dominant teams ever, and nobody would have stopped them. Just like the Niners the year before were 15 and one. And I will grant this to New York, and a lot of people don't agree with me. 
We didn't have Jimmy McMahon, fine, but like you can't go on provisionals. But in 86, I will concede that no matter what, even if the Bears beat the Redskins with Doug Flutie at quarterback, that it was the Giants' year. Yeah, both teams in 14-2. and two. I'm willing to concede that, all right? I'm very gracious of me. But beginning in 87, there was the opportunity, and the Bears you know, continued to dominate until at the end of the season, Joe Gibbs – Fucking he that you know for the second year in a row, Joe Gibbs made sure that after Mike Ditka embarrassed him in RFK in '84, he was never going to let that happen again. And for the second year in a row, and we had McMahon, we had Flutie the year before. Yeah. We didn't have any excuses. We had McMahon, we had Galt, we had we had Covert. Like you know, Covert wasn't there in the '88 game, right? That was one of the problems. Um, 80, right or no? No, I'm sorry. I have that wrong. Covert I don't remember, was not I don't remember when he fucking was back. No, that was later. Be, you know, similar, but beside the point. But they had all the pieces in 87, so what was the problem? You know, Was McMahon never fully healthy? Was Ditka just a shithead that couldn't keep up with the Walshes and Gibbses? Maybe, or maybe that's too harsh. He didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have a good organization. It comes back to the McCaskey family that they were been so dysfunctional for so long. They didn't even have a GM back then. They weren't built to keep up with the Giants and the Niners and the Redskins. They did as good as they could because they were overloaded with talent, but they just were not operationally as sound. I don't know. But all I know is that on the night of was September, whatever the fuck, when they faced the Giants, we were still absolutely luxuriating in one of the just the greatest football teams that uh, that we'll see. So yeah. Yeah, I'll so take it, I guess. September 14th, 1987. So uh, the last thing, the Bears had nine sacks. Wilbur had three. Mike Singletary had two. And then one each for Todd Bell, Richard Dent, Dan Hampton, and Otis Wilson. Oh, they all got a piece. Like just like in the wild. Everybody got a bite. It was satisfying. Kids, if you're if you if you've listened this far, find the two hour and thirty seven minute game. It is a little blurry. But uh, I don't know. Maybe because we live through it, never gets old. I don't know. Or you can watch the 17 minute and 37 one hosted by <laughs> Angelo Abella and Andy Smart. I gotta, I gotta give, I gotta tip my hat to these two chaps. You know, a couple of, couple of English boys, a couple of British boys. You know, just fascinated with the American game that that they have the nerve to call football. Well, and this, when, this is perfect timing that we did this because. Uh, you get to get up early Sunday morning and there's a game on NFL Network. They're in London. So we get a we get a quadruple header on Sunday. You get the we London game, then you get the normal noon games, you get Bears Giants, then you get the three o'clock games, and then you get the Sunday night football. We gotta tie that in. Alright, so that'll do it for uh for the eighty seven Bears. But uh, My pleasure. That was enjoyable. I'm sure the game on Sunday, uh, this this these Bears and those and these Giants, same thing. Another clash of Titans. Yeah, seriously, people, watch 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 this '87 game right before uh, noon kickoff, right. on and Sunday. then see if you think they're playing the same sport that they played <laughs> back then. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah. Many of us have herpes. I just want this to be over.